Blog Talk Radio. Hello and happy Sunday. This is Seeds of Change and I'm your host, Danielle St. John. Elizabeth is out today, not feeling well, but mom is here to bring her in. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. You don't sound very happy. Well, no, because I'm... Uh... I've been trying to stay away from the news all week because I was getting um, obviously lots of emotions, um, and I just went to look for stuff for the show and got grossed out again. <laughs> got a little it's distressed so anyway. So yeah, and plus my chargers are losing. So ah, yeah, yeah. You know Joe's gonna go see them next week, right? <sighs> Lucky. You know he he's going to see the Bears. But I was like, you know, like, yeah, and a bunch of, I'm, I'm going too, but um, I'm not going to the game. I'm coming back on Sunday. So um, he's going to, he's there with uh, all of his, uh, his uh, Chicago buddies. And um, that's going to be fun. Okay. Yeah. I'm jealous. I'm going to go see the Bears. And I'm like, oh yeah, you're going to go see the Chargers. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And he'll be rooting for the Bears. I guarantee it. And then I'll, I'll throw uh, popcorn at his head or something like that. Exactly. Anyway, um, it is a happy Sunday. The, uh, we have an update. I have an update on okay, update. the the chicken palace is two thirds complete. We're almost oh, there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I wish there was some way that I could post for um, the listeners the the video that I took um, showing the progress that we've made because I'm excited. I'm yeah. excited. And, and, and Big uh, Bertha got moved out of the garage back to the grow out, and, and nobody died. So that's our that's our update for the day. <laughs> you named her? Yes, I named her. So what, why Danielle Bertha. asked me that question is because I have a bit of a superstition um, about naming chickens. But this, this girl named herself. There was just no getting around it. Her name is Bertha. <laughs> Uh, Bertha, but Big Bertha, because that's exactly what she is. She's a huge um, <clears throat> lavender Orpington. Oh, we love the lavenders. We love the lavenders, and but they're really extra large fowl, and um, she's she's just a like a less than a year old, and she's going to be huge. So we she ended up with a name. Uh, the, I, the superstition is if I name them, those are the ones that die. So we try. I I stopped doing that. I stopped calling any of them my favorite bird because that also seemed to uh, be a precursor to their demise. It was yeah. it, it almost became spooky, so I stopped doing it. Anyway, but she it it there was just no getting around it. She just named herself, and um, anyway. Hmm. We'll just have to. We'll just. We'll just say that it's a superstition, and it's not going to happen. So, yes, and she, exactly. By God, she's big enough to protect herself. That's for darn right, sure. Right, exactly. Yeah, she might <laughs> eat you up. She kind of feel bad tried. for the hawk. That's how she ended. She tried. That's how she ended up with a name. Ha! Yeah, she tried That's to funny. beat me up. I won because she's yeah. still just a chicken, but um, a little, little spooky. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Well, Joey gets to go, huh? That's exciting. And update the the update on the coop is really, really good news. I'm hoping that we're going to have a a chicken party uh, next weekend or the weekend after and get all the birds moved. Yeah. Looking forward to that. 
Um, yeah, soon. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I I didn't want to get into um, Israel Palestine, um, but I think that we are going to just a little bit. Um, but first, I would like to go back to 2009 and play okay. a, a speech by one of our favorites. And you've heard this speech before, uh, but it's a speech on the, um, on the House floor um, by Ron Paul. And um, it is very relevant now. Um, and so if, you, if it's okay, it's about three minutes. I'd love to play this, and um, and then we can can we discuss it afterwards? Yes, that that would be good. I but, and you know what? I'll tell you what. I think you should play both uh, the clips from our favorite lady. Now, what is that lady's name again? I just uh, love her really videos. graceful, really graceful. Um, it, so so I I I was impressed with with the information that she put in um, that clip, and I, I definitely want to hear what Ron, uh, Ron Paul has to say as well. Cool. All right. We'll start with Ron Paul, and then okay. uh, we'll move on to Really Graceful, okay? Okay. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Madam Speaker, I have a few questions for my uh, colleagues. What if our foreign policy of the past century is deeply flawed and has not served our national security interests? No kidding. What if we wake up one day and realize that the terrorist threat is a predictable consequence of our meddling in the affairs of others and has nothing to do with us being free and prosperous? What if propping up repressive regimes in the Middle East endangers both the United States and Israel? What if occupying countries like Iraq and Afghanistan and bombing Pakistan is directly related to the hatred directed toward us? What if someday it dawns on us that losing over 5,000 American military personnel in the Middle East since 9-11 is not a fair trade-off for the loss of nearly 3,000 American citizens, no matter how many Iraqi, Pakistani, and Afghan people are killed or displaced? What if we finally decide that torture, even if called enhanced interrogation technique, is self-destructive and produces no useful information and that contracting it out to a third world nation is just as evil. What if it is finally realized that war and military spending is always destructive to the economy? What if all wartime spending is paid for through the deceitful and evil process of inflating and borrowing? What if we finally see that wartime conditions always undermine personal liberty? What if conservatives who preach small government wake up and realize that our interventionist foreign policy provides the greatest incentive to expand the government? What if conservatives understood once again that their only logical position is to reject military intervention and managing an empire throughout the world? What if the American people woke up and understood that the official reasons for going to war are almost always based on lies and promoted by war propaganda in order to serve special interests? What if we as a nation came to realize that the quest for empire eventually destroys all great nations? What if Obama has no intention of leaving Iraq? 
What if a military draft is being planned for for the wars that will spread if our foreign policy is not changed? What if the American people learn the truth? That our foreign policy has nothing to do with national security. That it never changes from one administration to the next. What if war and preparation for war is a racket serving the special interests? What if President Obama is completely wrong about Afghanistan and turns out worse than Iraq and Vietnam put together? What if Christianity actually teaches peace and not preventive wars of aggression? What if diplomacy is found to be superior to bombs and bribes in protecting America? What happens if my concerns are completely unfounded? Nothing. But what happens if my concerns are justified and ignored? Nothing good. And I yield back the balance of my time. Thoughts? Every single word of that is true. It makes me cry every time I hear it. Every single time I watch it. So what does this, you, the U.S. send in for, foreign aid every year? According to uh, George Ingram, the Brookings Institute, which is a um, definitely a left-wing uh, organization, it says 75 years of U.S. foreign aid has produced more fiction than fact when it comes to how American tax dollars are being spent around the world. Myth number one, it says that we spent too much on foreign aid. This is the Brookings Institute. but. Mm-hmm. Um, $39.2 billion for fiscal year, fiscal year 2019. Let me ask you a question. Is that too much? Um, it depends, really, on what, we're, on what we're talking about foreign aid. I mean, exactly. if you look at just, just exactly. Ukraine, right, are we sending them food or are we sending them bombs? You know what I mean? That is the exact right way to look at this. The problem isn't sending the money it's what they what we they're spending it on yeah. and what happens with it when it when it leaves my fucking wallet okay i yes. don't want to spend money on a war in ukraine i couldn't care less that's and that wait a minute that's not that's not a good way to say it it's not our fight just like what ron paul said is that money going to do any good Right. No. Nothing good. Yeah. It's not going to do anything good. And I don't care if some Yahoo in Congress gets up and says, but what about the children? This is what they do to us. And and you know yeah. what? What he said about fiscal conservatives, speaking of Yahoo's, okay, they're up there. We are going to be good with your money and blah, 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 because we're fiscal conservatives. They're spending money like drunken sailors. Okay. Yes. Yes. So if I thought that my, that, that they were going to buy 40 billion um, pallets of clean drinking water. Yeah. And, and can we have some? Yeah. Can we have some? Thank you very much. (laughs) Okay. If I thought it was going for rice or beans, okay, to feed people, I'd be okay with that. Because for me, when someone says foreign aid, that's what I'm, that's what I picture. Okay. Right. I picture them. Wording is everything. Rice rice and beans. Okay. Rice and beans and water. Okay. So May 4th, 2023, $550 billion. In foreign aid. 
Which countries receive the most foreign aid from us? Let's see. Israel. Uh, let's see. Ten. Um, Israel's first. Yeah. Jordan, Afghanistan, Ethiopia, Egypt. These are the top ten. Yeah. Uh, Yemen, South Sudan, Congo. Um, so keep in mind, okay, so the question is, do we believe that the people, the leaders of those countries are taking our money and spending it for, for rice and beans? No. I don't. Yeah. U.S. aid to Israel and Ukraine. In 2021, the U.S. gave more than $3.3 billion to Israel, 11% of the year's entire distribution to specific countries. That year, Israel received more than twice the amount seen by any other country, and near, nearly all of it was designated as military aid. Um, okay, so we, we, we send a lot of money to Israel, which I've known that. I, I knew that. that. That doesn't surprise me. Okay, so, so here we are at the topic, but go ahead. Let's find out who Israel is according to um, – is it mostly graceful? Is that how – Really graceful. Really graceful. Um, I'll wait till after because I, I have some problems that I'm going to address with, with most of what she says. Absolutely true and, and on point and it has, is historically – most of it is historically accurate. So let's listen to what she's got to say about where the country of Israel started and why and how. And then I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a biblical perspective. Take it away, Danielle. Um, yeah, keep talking for a second. I'm pulling it up. <laughs> okay. Hold on. Okay. So, yeah. okay. Well, then I guess I, I, can, I can. I guess I can um, start from from a biblical perspective. Throughout the Old Testament, God, the the men and women that are, they're called Israelites or Jews or Jewish people or um, they might. I'm sure they have a different different names themselves. Um, leave the country of Egypt the way they've been enslaved and um, through a series of miracles according to the biblical uh, story through a series of miracles the Egyptians were forced to by God to release the Israelites mm -hmm. from enslavement they crossed the river through a, really the Red Sea and, the, and God parts the Red Sea. These are all the miracles that are, are in the account um, in Exodus of, of them leaving Egypt. Mm -hmm. After they get over across the Red Sea, though, God tells them, go take this land and I will help you fight. And in fact, a couple of times it was a slaughter. And God said, you're to slaughter everything, all their animals, all their children, all their women, all their men. It was, it was really bad because this is your promised land. There's some screw-ups along the way, and the Israel, Israelites um, get, uh, get sick of all the miracles, believe it or not, and um, start fussing and fighting and worshiping other gods. And, you know, God smacks them around a little bit and says, yeah. you people that, that committed these sins, you're never crossing over. You're not going to the promised land. So this is, you know, and he leads them to – he lets them lead them to this one place, and the rest of them got to stay. They don't get to. They got to wander in the desert some more. Forty years mm -hmm. they wandered in the desert because of their foolishness. Okay, so this right. is the reason why I'm telling. You know the story of the medical this. symbol. Yes. Yes, that was one I'll of the tell, things, right? Right. Okay, so they're they're worshiping, you know, uh, 
bloodthirsty gods and you know sacrificing and doing all kinds of pulling all kinds of shit humans mm-hmm. this is the reason why i'm telling this story because keep in mind every single bit of what danielle and i are going to argue about today has to do with humans and their fallibility their 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 warlike uh mannerisms okay shit you can't take my shit this is what we've been doing since time began this is nothing new right but it's not but it's not right either right i mean that's why honestly like okay so so just like a quick side story um the ten commandments one of those commandments is do not covet your neighbor's property right and well yes it's it, it's a lot of, you know, um, I guess an Americanized view of that is like, well, if, you know, my neighbor has a Corvette and I've got a car that doesn't even run, um, why shouldn't I want what my neighbor has? But that's really an Americanized um, perspective. Yes. It really yes. is the fact that, that um, there's this almost communist way of, of living that we're supposed to, to be living according to uh, God's law. And that is that everybody has an equal amount. Okay, and I don't so, know where that part came from. Show me where it says that in the Bible. Okay, I will. I mean, I'm the communist part. Okay. Not it didn't. You know. No, like, no, but, I'm talking about God doesn't say that. He he'll say the poor. Will, he said the poor will always be with you. And you're you're first of all you're supposed to try to take care of the widows and children. Okay, right. but but in the in the same breath, God is saying go over there and take their shit. Um, okay, so the, the Ten Commandments were um, were laws written for people for a people with no laws. It, Those laws are specifically for the Jews. You're at correct. That time. You're correct. So, you're not supposed right, to come in. Yes. So let, go let's ahead. go into the Zionist. You know, this is basically what Christians okay. are. I'm about setting Zionism. it up. Well, I got one more thing to say. Sure. Sorry. Go about ahead. mostly graceful or really graceful. Really okay. Graceful. <laughs> After all of this, they were they were sent back into the land, and they screwed it up five or six times after that, and got they got it taken from them, and taken from them, and taken from them, okay. And then they got scattered to all, all four points of the globe. Now we now we go with really graceful. Go okay. Ahead. All right. Three, two, one. Hey, Internet friends, if the world is a kaleidoscope of color, you and I could be looking at the same sky and see totally different shades of blue. Reality is much the same. In the Israeli-Palestinian conflict with its complex and winding history, is one of those reality breakdowns where people come away with drastically different reads of the room based on their upbringing, religious affiliation, schooling, television habits. You know how it is. Only, much like COVID and even the war in Ukraine, we are being forced to choose a side. And it's not simply a selection, but a moral decree. An effective way to shatter the calm of the evening is to have an opposing opinion on this issue amongst good company. So today, I'm going to give you a historical overview of the Israel and Palestine conflict that is seldom taught in school or even church to better help us navigate the barrage of violent imagery harrowing headlines in narratives meant to stir not only emotion, but serve as a call to action. Let's start with the basics. Judaism isn't Zionism. While Zionism is a political philosophy for a certain group of people, Judaism is a religion. Jewish ancestry is not a requirement for practicing Judaism. To be a Zionist, 
you don't have to be Jewish. The official definition of Zionism is a movement for originally the reestablishment and now the development and protection of a Jewish nation in what is now Israel. Zionism was established as a political organization in 1897. Basically, Zionists believe that according to the Torah, God made a covenant or a sacred agreement with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of Judaism. So in the Old Testament, as it's interpreted by Zionists, God basically acts as a real estate agent and promises Abraham and his descendants a specific land, often referred to as the promised land or the land of Canaan. The land is described in various passages in the Bible and it includes the territory that makes up modern-day Israel, as well as parts of surrounding areas. If you're new here, I'm from the Bible Belt of the United States, where Christian Zionism is widespread. Believe in that Israel and the Jews are the chosen people and that Israel is the promised land for Jews is taught in church as a gateway to salvation and eternal life. Keep in mind that as Christians, we are also taught that the way to eternal life and salvation is through Christ, whom religious Jews reject, and they also reject the idea of hell or eternal damnation. And I just want to remind Christians who might be watching that everything changed with the New Testament which is why Christians are taught from both the Old and New Testament. Remember, Jesus rolled up, started performing miracles, flipping over tables of money changers, and said it doesn't matter who you are, how much money you got, who your daddy is. As long as you walk with Christ, you're chosen for eternal salvation. And that yes. changed everything. It gave everyday people hope and put them on an even playing field. Point of view, or we don't believe in the divinity of Christ. I right. think that the, there you can make an argument that the the Gospels, which were written, he was just a prophet. And right? no, 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 we don't uh, even believe he was a prophet. What do you think he was? What do you guys? Uh, think I, I mean, I, what I what do I think he was historically? I think he was a Jew who tried to lead a revolt against the Romans and got killed for his trouble. But just like Christians, there are certain sects of Judaism that believe one thing, and other Jews believe something else. So Jews who follow the Babylonian Talmud, a rabbinical text are taught that there is a distinction between Jews, who are considered the chosen people in Jewish theology, and those who are not Jewish. The word used to describe the non-Jewish, including Christians, is goyim, or goy. It is a derogatory Yiddish term meaning cattle or beast, often used in place of the word Gentile. And this distinction, or this perception, well, it just totally discards the concept of an even playing field. The perception of the self, the teachings, are inherently otherly in ways that others could never achieve if they weren't born into it. The first big departure from Israel happened during the Babylonian exile, almost 600 years before Christ, when King Nebuchadnezzar II of the Babylonian Empire took over Jerusalem and destroyed the first temple, Solomon's temple. Then Rome conquered Jerusalem in 70-ish AD destroying the second temple, the central hub of Jewish worship and sacrifice. About 70 years later, the Romans changed the name of the area from Judea to Palestina. Okay, so like I said, the original Bible Jews fled Judea to surrounding areas throughout the centuries. But there's a key event that happened in Jewish history that no one really ever addresses. And I'm just gonna warn you, it's a highly debated event it really gets people worked up to talk about it. During the Middle Ages, between the 7th and 10th centuries, the kingdom of Khazaria ruled over parts of Russia, Kazakhstan, and modern-day Ukraine. 
So under the Khazarian Empire, the kingdom made all the civilians who were reportedly polytheistic and pagan. They made them convert to Judaism. And it's believed that the decision to convert was a political choice to stay independent and avoid religious pressures from the Christian Byzantine Empire to the west and the Islamic Caliphate to the south. Meaning that Khazarians were not necessarily Jews in the sense that Bible Jews were, if that makes sense. They had the identity, but not the connection to ancient Israel. After the fall of the Khazarian Empire in the 10th century, Khazarians migrated and integrated across Europe. In all fairness, it should be noted that a bunch of Jews call the Khazar history a conspiracy theory. They say it's an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. Even though you can open up a history book and it's right there, so I don't know what to tell you. Chinese Muslims don't pretend they're Arabs, but white Europeans claim to be Bible Israelites, and we all just pretend that's perfectly normal. Eventually, Jewish people arrived in Western Europe and America, and forgive me because it's getting a little dicey here, making the distinction between Bible Jews and converted Jews, but apparently it's an important distinction because it determines whether America is willing to send billions of tax dollars and soldiers to a nation. So we've got to at least touch on the difference. So let's fast forward to the late 1800s when Zionism allegedly got its start in response to the resurgence of anti-Semitism. By the way, anti-Semitism before the definition was changed in like 2016 used to mean hostility towards Semites. A Semite being a member of any of the peoples who speak or spoke a Semitic language, including in particular the Jews and the Arabs. Now it just means hatred of Jewish people. When Zionism was just getting traction, among the considerations for a Jewish state were Argentina, Uganda, Cyprus, and even Texas. Throughout the early 1900s, numerous Zionist groups began to pop up across the United States, with their various publications serving as a vehicle for Zionist propaganda. The goal was to influence both the United States Congress and the general public. Though the sentiment amongst U.S. officials at the time was that Zionism countered both U.S. interests and principles, since it involved matters related to other countries other than the United States. Clearly, much has changed since then. But then the world descended into war. A secret deal called the Sykes-Picot Treaty was made during World War I, the result of which was bringing down the Ottoman Empire. The treaty was made public in 1916 and set new borders for the Middle East splitting the area into states, and Palestine was put under international control. But strangely enough, the Balfour Declaration, which was written in a letter to Walter Rothschild by the UK's Foreign Secretary Arthur Balfour, promised Palestine as a home for the Jewish people. And this letter was sent just one year after the Sykes-Picot Treaty. It's important to remember that the Rothschild banking family actively funded both sides of the war. This was also done during World War II because countries at war needed money to do things like feed and arm their men. But for Rothschild Zionism, making money was just the cherry on top. They needed Jewish people to be traumatized. They needed Jewish people to have a reason to live in fear and want to migrate to Israel, which would serve as a hub to help them rule the Middle East. And they needed global superpowers to back them up. But even before World War II, Zionists were busy buying up land in Palestine and moving there. Palestine was a place where Jews, Christians, and Muslims already lived. 
The Zionist Federation of Germany and the Nazi government signed the Havara Agreement in 1933. This made it easier for German Jews to move to Palestine, and it let Jewish people in Germany move some of their wealth out of Germany by buying things made in Germany to send to Palestine. Jews who had left their homes used the money they made from selling these goods in Palestine to settle down there. As a result of the deal, about 60,000 German Jews moved to Palestine before it was officially ended when World War II broke out in 1939. Before the State of Israel was officially established, the Palestinians revolted. Sinus said this was because of their anti-Semitism, but Palestine was their home, and the Arabs knew it was being attacked and taken away from them. Were they just supposed to, I don't know, give away their homes and family farms without a peep? Y'all like, oh, no problem, we'll just bulldoze our homes ourselves. That's just a little bit unrealistic, don't you think? 700,000 Palestinians were forced from their homes when the state of Israel was created. Some people might call this an ethnic cleansing of the land. More and more Palestinian land has been claimed by Israel every year since its creation. And every day there is a war. In 1967, Israel was at war with six surrounding Arab states. As a result, Israel won and took over the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, and of course, the Syrian Golan Heights. The UN has asked Israel to leave these lands to give them back, but they have held on to them which has created extremely high tensions in the region, giving rise to extremist groups, which are then funded by the CIA and Mossad and whoever else, so they can control the opposition, which is always their MO. Zionists say that their treatment of Palestinians is okay because after World War II, everyone abandoned Israel. They were truly on their own and surrounded by people who didn't like them being there. The excuse for their aggression was that they were protecting themselves. After all, Jewish Zionists believe that they are God's chosen people and that this land was given to them by God and it's their duty, their manifest destiny, if you will, to take it. This argument, this whole argument has transformed into, do we not have a right to protect ourselves in the face of such extreme anti-Semitism? Let's call a spade a spade. It's all a bit gaslighty. As part of Zionism's manifest destiny, there is perpetual war and death in the Middle East. The United Nations doesn't punish Israel for their violations of human rights as they grow into the greater Israel. Even so, Resolution 3379 of the UN General Assembly in 1975 said that Zionism was a form of racism and racial discrimination. This decision was taken away in 1991. Still, it seems like Israel is a Jewish state, but only for a certain kind of Jewish people. The Palestinian Jews who were there the entire time and the Ethiopian Jews who moved there in the 1980s and early 1990s aren't wanted there. Bethlehem, historically associated with Jesus Christ, has seen its Christian population decrease significantly, from 80% in the 1920s to just 20% today. A similar decline has occurred throughout Palestine, where Christians now make up only about 1% of the population. Some people might say that this decline is because of tensions in the Middle East between Palestinian Muslims and Christians. However, however, a study from 2017 found that the main reason Palestinian Christians left was the pressure of Israeli occupation. The study reported that ongoing restrictions, unfair laws, random arrests, and land seizures are some of the things that make Palestinian Christians feel hopeless. 
Every day for decades, the Israelis and the Palestinians are at war with each other. Eventually, Israel put up a wall between territories, effectively surrounding the Palestinian population of 2 million like their caged animals, providing only a couple of guarded exits. Palestinian civilians often get caught up in the crossfire, leaving their hospitals, schools, and homes destroyed by Israel. Meanwhile, Israel built their Iron Dome missile defense system in the 2000s to defend against rocket threats from Hezbollah and Hamas. The United States funds both sides of the conflict, giving Palestinians $600 million annually and Israel around $3.3 billion in foreign aid annually. To wrap it all up here, Israel has and continues to commit human rights violations against Palestinian civilians which have been documented by the UN and human rights organizations. There are repeated examples, daily tragedies that global superpowers have turned a blind eye to. Presumably in the United States, it's because the Zionist lobby has a great deal of power over the politicians. Any criticism of Israel and its practices gets shut down by accusations of anti-Semitism before one sentence ever leaves your mouth. And of course, the Palestinians hate the Israelis. Of course, the Israelis hate the Palestinians. Who is right? Who is wrong? Do you actually believe that the same media who lied to get us into every major war, Vietnam, the Gulf Wars into the war on drugs, intact passports at the bottom of the Twin Tower rubble, war on terrorism, COVID, mass saves lives, Ukraine, do you actually believe they're telling you the truth about what happened in the last few weeks between Israel and Palestine? The events of which will inevitably escalate and lead to greater involvement of global superpowers and eventually cost the lives of many American soldiers? Do you actually believe that they're telling you the truth? If everything went down exactly as the media reported, of course Hamas is in the wrong for killing Israeli civilians. The whole sophistication of the Israeli intelligence and military surveillance apparatus being down during that particular time is a little suspect, but I digress. I hope that if you're a Christian, you'll consider what I've said. I know you're good people. I know you have big hearts, and I know you hate to see others suffer. But if you're going to cheer on the genocide of an entire population and beg for Americans to get involved, I hope and pray that you know the true identity and intent of our greatest ally in the Middle East. Because by your logic, you're basing your entire eternal salvation on supporting them and their actions. Just make sure that you're sure. That's all. By the way, I wish we had a single politician who was as fired up about what's happening in the United States as they are about Israel. Wouldn't that be something? What if people directed their energy towards bankers and puppeteers funding both sides of the conflict instead of choosing aside in this false dichotomy. What do you think, Internet friends? I'm sure I've upset some of you by saying this. I just humbly ask for your consideration of what I've laid out here. And, you know, I contemplated a long time about doing this video, and I still felt like after a week it was important enough to post. Relaying this type of information is not something I take lightly. But anyway, thank you for your time. Thank you for subscribing, and thank you for buying my book, The Deep State Encyclopedia. Bye. Okay, so uh, you said there was uh, it, it, one or more places where she was wrong in this. I, and I love how, like, you kept calling her mostly graceful. I think that's like <laughs> a Freudian slip or whatever, you know, like mo mostly mostly right. Um, but, yeah, go, go ahead. Um, 
I really can't quibble with too much of it. There, there was definitely a um, a no war slant, don't kill people slant. Okay, and um, that's a good thing. I wish we lived in a world like that. I tried to say this a few weeks ago. We don't. It's very sad. It's very it, it's it's crummy. The Israelis want to kill the Palestinians, and the Palestinians want to kill the Jews. And uh, we live that is the kind of world that we live in. I don't want to fund it. I don't want to take a side. Amen. Um, <clears throat> atrocities have been committed by both sides of this war, of, of this conflict. And um, the atrocities are going to continue. I don't know what will be the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, she, the, the, the parts that she talked about, about Christians supporting Israel because they are the chosen people. And then she, she moved it to guess who are the chosen people now, which are Christians. Um, she's right about that. That's where that is the birthplace of Christianity. That region mm-hmm. right there. It's uh where my best friend was born. And um lived and died for me. And so I suppose I have an affinity for uh the people living in that region. Mm-hmm. Do I do I want um soldiers from the United States to fight? They're talking about a draft. The dra- well, I mean, we still have a draft. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> we still I, I have didn't a draft. <clears throat> oh yeah. We still have a draft. Every every 18-year-old man is required to sign up for the draft when he turns 18. I don't know about that. I don't yes, think Aaron did. Does he, he may or may not have, but if he ever applied for financial aid to go to school, <laughs> it would have prevented him from getting the money if he didn't if he didn't do it. Interesting. Okay, so so it's conditional. Okay. All right, that makes sense. No, it's not conditional. It's unconditional. I'm saying he would have found out that he was to have done so. Everyone is still required to want me to check. Want me to go to the Google machine? Uh, yeah. Are 18 old men still required to sign up for selective Hey, that's what they call it, selective service. Yes. Federal law requires nearly all male U.S. citizens and male immigrants 18 through 25 to register with selective service. Um, your mom was – your mom. <laughs> Aiden, Aiden just became a woman. <laughs> So there is, there's, there's, there are um, exemptions, and he probably will qualify for an exemption. Yeah, okay, well, then, so yeah, whatever exemption so, we need. Yeah, <laughs> so that's my point, is that still today, we have a draft here in the United States, and they're talking about sending troops over there. They have troops on the way. We are uh, in a mess. The world is on fire. And um, you and I have discussed this many, many times. Over the last few years, (sighs) 
And I just pray that the Lord will intervene because it's 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 coming. Yeah. Let me let, um, let me um, pose something to you. Okay. Um, and this is something that has been kind of like tugging it um, at my heart for a while. Um, okay. The Bible verse: "The meek shall inherit the earth." Yes. If if we know as Christians, we go up. You know, we we leave. We're not of this world. We leave. That's correct. Would it stand, you know, to reason that another group like the Jews stays? Right, because they don't have Christ. Right. Right. So, yes. So here's what will happen. According to Revelation, there will be um, trials, trials and trials and trials. And every – the idea – I suppose, is that every knee shall bow at some point. So there's your meekness. Mm. That the, the tribulations will come, and all the, the people, quote-unquote unbelievers, people who have not turned their will and their life over to the care of God as they understand him, will eventually have to kneel and become meek and surrender to the fact that there is a God and that um, <clears throat> and that there is a fight, a battle between good and evil. And I, and I, based on what I read in the tribulations, that's the point is that, you know, every single person is supposed to bend the knee eventually to our father God in heaven and say, okay, I surrender. I take my life. It's yours. Yeah. That's, well, that's, that's that goes to the Christians. Yeah. No, no. I'm saying after, after we leave, <laughs> Mm-hmm. We're already, according to the rapture, we're supposed to already all be gone. Okay. Yeah. These are people that haven't, that are not Christians, that have right. not had their names written in the book of life. So well, that's okay. But where, we do believe that, that the Jews know God, right? Jesus. It's the acceptance well, no. of, of, the, of the surrender, the sacrifice. And, and I know that you and I disagree on this issue, whether Jesus is God. Right, right. So, and okay. especially when so, we're talking about the chosen people not believing in Christ, like actively saying, "Nope, not a prophet, not my God." Do you know what? Do you know what God called them? Stiff-necked Ooh. fools. Our God in heaven looked right down at them and shook his finger at them and said, "You're a bunch of stiff-necked fools." They're still you? stiff-necked fools. Yes, as much as he, right. I, I love you, he said. But you're all a bunch of stiff-necked fools. When yeah. they kept, you know, sacrificing to to Baal, and, and and he still loved them anyway, but he still called them he still called them stiff-necked fools, and they're still doing it. But there's there's a different, like there's a um a difference. But, but he can't change. God can't change who he is. He can't call him his children and then stop calling him his children just because they're stiff-necked fools. No, but he okay, but. What I'm saying is that there's a you know, there's a difference in the Bible between the the spirit that the Jews have and the spirit that Christians have, and it has to do with spirit being put upon the Jews and spirit being within the Christians. The 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 spirit when you look at the like the original languages 
that the spirit that is put upon Jews can be taken away from Jews. But the spirit that is within Christians cannot be taken away. Cannot be taken away. And now, now that's eternal life, right? But, but God doesn't really say that every Christian is going to heaven. It, it, there, he, they say that every Christian has a, an eternal life and whether they go up or down, they still have an eternal life. Their life goes on in torment or their life goes on in paradise. Right? What's the so, difference? Well, it, it's um, not asking forgiveness for sin, right? And right. so really the only, sin, the only unforgivable sin is the sin that you can't ask forgiveness for like i use this as an example because it's blasphemy of um, the holy spirit well yeah because you're not okay for okay the bible is very clear that women should have their head covered when they pray and pray without ceasing right um Mm -hmm. okay now i i don't cover my head you don't cover your head but every day i know that that's a sin and i ask forgiveness for that sin right but the people who are like, no, I don't have to ask forgiveness for that sin because that's not for me. That, to me, would be a sin that you can't, that you're not asking forgiveness for. You don't think you are saying now, and 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 don't don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about ignorance, right? I'm not talking no, about willful, yeah, yeah. willful, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So okay, yeah, that that's kind of my. <laughs> Thus, thus the, the term stiff-necked fools, and he still loves us anyway. Well, right, right. But, the, but again, um, the, the Jews don't – I mean, they've, they've got their own belief system set up where they dunk themselves in water, you know, five times in a lifetime. They, you know, I don't know if they actually still sacrifice anymore. Um, maybe they do. But um, – and to be perfectly honest, like when you look at kosher food, like that's probably how we should be living. God, you know, uh, Jews didn't know about trichinosis, you know, back know. in the day, but, but, yeah. you know, God said, don't eat pork, you know, and they lived a lot longer than we do now. It's true. You know, the, the, so there are cleanliness laws that, that the Jews follow that the Christians don't, um, you know, that, that protect them, their bodies in ways that Christians don't really, I mean, maybe they should, but, you know, but it's not something that they have to do. Christians have to do, you know, we can eat whatever meats we want, um, you know, but like things like bottom feeders, we're not supposed to eat shellfish. Why? Because they literally eat the shit of the ocean. Right. And, and God knew that. Their dietary um, laws were really tight. Absolutely. Right. On, right? God knew yeah. what, he, what he was doing. Well, obviously yeah. God knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. The land. Mean, all of this is to say that I think that there is a different path for Christians than there are for Jews. Obviously, I, they they I don't agree. think anything of like what did Ben Shapiro say in that vi- in that video? He she got in the way uh, of the let, Romans. Yeah, I know. I and know. that killed for his ish, for his uh, his trouble. Flippant, yeah. very dismissive. Like that. Ew. I know. And that's probably how most of them see us, mm-hmm. most of the Jews. That's how they see us. But I don't care. Yeah. I know where I'm going. <laughs> they still <Right>. don't. <laughs> Poor thing. Mm-hmm. 
they still don't. They think that, that they get to do all the shit that they do here and, and, and oh, well, right. things. I feel, I feel bad for them in that. I, you know, and, but every knee shall bow. Yeah. It's very truth. interesting. It's very interesting that um, the, uh, that Islam, Muslim, not Islam, you know the difference, right, between Islam and Muslim? Mm-hmm. The, yeah, laws are Islam. Uh, yes. And Muslims, the religion, right? Even mm-hmm. in, in the Muslim religion considers Christ a prophet. Yes. They do. They call very us cartoony. the people of the, yeah, they, they call, yes, they call us the people of the book. <laughs> do they? Yes, they do. That's I talked funny. to a Muslim. I talked to a, a Muslim one day, and he said, "You guys are the people of the book. You had an excellent prophet, but Muhammad was the last prophet." They, you know, they said, which is okay. All right, interesting. You got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they call us um, the people of the book. There's and, um, um, I, the I was Quran, like, oh, I, "I'm down for that." <laughs> you can call right? me that. <laughs> um, I'm down with God. Yeah, but um, the. The Muslims actually in in the Quran, there's this like very like cartoony kind of scene where uh, Mary is about to be stoned to death because she had a baby out of wedlock, right? And like this infant Jesus uh, stands up in his in his crib in his cradle or whatever and says, "Leave my mom alone." Talks in perfect, you know, perfect English or whatever, not English but uh, Hebrew or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and says, "Leave my mom alone." She's the real deal, and they all left. Like that's like a quote from the Quran. Interesting. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, very. It's, like I said, it's cartoony, but it's in there. So, so let's fast forward. Okay. What do you believe about October seventh and the events that have occurred since then? You mean my wedding day? Oh yes, your wedding day. Yeah. Um, but also the flash flash fire in the Middle East that occurred. I think that and this is and this is where we may or may not disagree, but I believe that US intelligence knew what was going on. Yep. Very likely. Warned Israel. And I think that Israel let an attack happen. Okay. And then, and then what happened during the attack? People died. Yes. So, so I'm, I'm really trying to, to come up with like a middle ground here because I believe that the media is trying to put these massive atrocities. And don't get me wrong. Anytime there's, there's a, you know, a death, it's, it's sad and it's unfortunate and, and horrible. Um, but I think that these attacks were more sensationalized than that, you know, to, to build up public support yes. for intervention. Okay. So, and then on the, the, okay. And the other side is either saying it didn't happen Nobody died. That's what Hamas is trying to tell people right now. And nobody died. Well, that's wrong. That's war propaganda, right? Yeah, right. So, I believe that but the died. New York Times. So, the first thing that I, my main point today is that you don't hate the media enough. Mm-hmm. You probably think you do, but you don't, because they're scurvy, slimy, 
scum-sucking dogs. Okay. Agreed. <laughs> Am I clear? Yep. So this is Eric Levitt. He works for the New York Magazine. Okay, so people like the New York Times, New York Magazine, The Atlantic um, are self-loathing pieces of shit. According to this report, which includes corroborating images, Hamas militants tied a parent and child together and then burned them alive. He also works for Media Matters, by the way. When even Media Matters for America can admit that Hamas committed inhuman atrocities, you know it's pretty bad. But of course, Levitz couldn't stop there. He just had to keep going. This was his next, next tweet in reply to the report he cited. Okay, so this is the report that I sent you, and we're going to go over it. Last night, I asserted that this report indicated that babies were beheaded. This was an overstatement. I should have said that the report established that babies were found headless, a fact that lends plausibility to claims of beheading, but which does not prove them. He went on to say, the verb behead has multiple definitions and is sometimes used to mean decapitate. The report indicates that Hamas did, did behead babies in, this, in that sense, but the term also connotes a form of execution using a knife, and we do not have confirmation of beheading in this sense. Are we really trying to promote Media Matters stuff right now? No, I'm not. I'm not trying to report. I'm talking, promote them. I'm, t- I'm telling you, you don't hate these people enough. Because all of this, Danielle, is propaganda. D- designed exactly what, what completely graceful said. Really graceful. <laughs> I really love that lady. Mostly I love to meet graceful. Her. Completely graceful. Really graceful. What? I'd love to meet her one day. I love her voice. I love the way she talks. I, I love the way she thinks. Oh, me too. Okay, but, but what she said at the end is she said, do not allow yourself to get caught up into this media maelstrom. Because guess what? Three-quarters of the planet already is. There's, there are protests, Palestinian protests, all over the world. I would say that the ones in Western countries have been somewhat nonviolent, right? They're not wrecking shit. But in the Middle East itself, they've they ran up on five or six of our embassies again. What got that going? Of course, was on on this side was the beheaded babies, right? We're finding everybody. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Stop, please, please stop, please stop. You're you're. Uh, um cutting in and out again. Let's just let it read that for a second because I want to hear this. Hold on one sec. I th- Yeah, say something. Better? Much better. Go ahead. Okay. I don't know why it does that, Danielle. I don't either. What, what really Graceful was trying to say is do not get caught up in this maelstrom of media propaganda. Either side, pay attention, understand who you are in Christ. That was her message. Um, that, and, and my point is that you guys, we don't hate, hate the media enough and we need to continue hating them because they're doing this deliberately. 
Okay, so I'm going to go back to the example. I went back to the beheading example. He said, but the term also can connote a, connote a form of execution using a knife, and we do not have confirmation of beheading in this sense. So he, the, the like article that I sent you. The fact? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, understood. Okay. Who fucking knows? They cut off babies' heads. Okay. How they did it, they're saying, well, no, they really didn't do it with a knife. They did it with, with guns. Why are we parsing this? <clears throat> okay. And and right now, because of that, a bunch of babies are starving in Palestine because they cut off the food, the gas, the water. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then a few days ago, a week ago, a hospital's been bombed. Okay. A hospital's been bombed. 500 people are dead. They bombed a hospital. Everybody's gasped in horror, just like when we heard the story about the babies being beheaded. Oh, my God, this is terrible. You know, uh, they're talking about proportional response and all this, all these bullshit phrases. There's no such thing as a proportional response to babies being beheaded, and it certainly isn't blowing up a fucking hospital. Okay. Back to the media propaganda piece about this. The information that a hospital had been blown up was provided directly to the New York Times by the Palestinian Health Authority. They didn't check. They didn't verify. They ran with the story, and it was on every front page newspaper. I don't even know if we use that term anymore, but it was blared Across Just the, the same way that the baby's being decapitated. Abs- absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Okay, that's what I'm telling you, is that getting caught up in this really emotional stuff, Danielle, of course, you know what's really good about that? It means mm. we're still human. And we still have empathy and, and we, sh- we have shared pain and we have, you know, thank God. We still have our humanity that these kinds of things make us really sad and really upset and we want it to stop. Okay. Okay. And both sides, here we go again with this both sides stuff. It's like, oh, it didn't happen. Yes, it happened. No, it it didn't happen. Well, come to find out the babies were killed. And there was a, I don't think, but you, okay. Hold on. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so Danielle, I'm not done. And then you could, you could take the stage telling you, if these idiots are admitting that babies were killed, it really happened. And what the idiot? article and their people media matters. <laughs> they have denied it since day one. And what happened is we got confirmation of it. And I'm it's sorry. from here it is, evidence on display at Israel's forensic pathology center confirms Hamas atrocities. Keep in mind, international press were invited to see the bodies, to watch the autopsies. It's undeniable that atrocities occurred on October 7th. Of course it's deniable because we're talking about war propaganda from either side. So So we we believe the Israeli officials, but we don't believe the Palestinian officials. That is not what I'm saying. All right. If there, I just said there are children dying in Palestine, and I don't need a fucking media person to tell me that. Yeah, okay. Okay. 
I certainly. And you just told me that the hospital bombing was fake. We don't even know that. I mean, are we, you, can we, okay. do we see pictures so, of the so, hospital standing? Okay. In the, here's, how about we agree on this, Danielle? When it first happens, let's get a 24, 48-hour rule. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because that's what they do. Again, you don't hate the media enough. That's going to be my – I'm going to get a T-shirt that says that. Okay? Um, I'll take one. I'll take one and a Razorback tank top, please. Okay, deal. We'll, we'll, we'll find them. We'll get them. Okay? But they, they take this stuff and they, they play on our sympathies and our humanity. And the, here's what happens. The world explodes, okay? Yeah. Social media explodes. The articles are crazy. And so, of course, it's fog of war. We should, we should you know, feel bad if it's true, but wait. So that's what they did with the babies. They, they, that, this happened on October 7th. They, they gathered the corpses and br- then brought in people from all over the world to watch them do the autopsies on these bodies and determine the cause of death. Now we're going to find out more about the rocket, supposedly, or the, the whoopsie that got dropped into this area. Turns out it was a parking lot. We found out a few days later. It wasn't a hospital. And there was, uh, I think, I don't know if anyone actually died, but it wasn't 500 people, certainly. And it wasn't a hospital. <laughs> so we have to... We, well, we don't know that, people. though. Yeah, they do. we do now, Danielle. I don't think we do. I'd like to see a picture, you know, but that's, I mean... How about if I post it? Here it is. Okay, um, I'm going to just play a short clip. Mm-hmm. Um, this is from 1991. This is U.S. Congressional Testimony from 1991. Um, I'm going to play it on my phone because I don't have it downloaded. But I, I would just like you to hear this, and then, and then maybe we can have a discussion about propaganda. Comment on it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, please. All right, here, three, two, one. Thank you very much. Our final witness is... Oops, sorry, hold on. Some name, and again, we ask uh, our friends in the media to respect the need to, for her to protect her family. And we finally call on Naira to testify. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, my name is Naira, and I just came out of Kuwait. My mother and I were in Kuwait on August 2nd for a peaceful summer holiday. My older sister had a baby on July 29th, and we wanted to spend some time in Kuwait with her. I only pray that none of my 10th grade classmates had a summer vacation like I did. I may have wished sometimes that I could be an adult, that I could grow up quickly. 
What I saw happen to the children yeah. of Kuwait and to my country has changed my life forever. It has changed the life of all Kuwaitis, young and old. We are children no more. <laughs> my sister, with my five-day-old nephew, traveled across the desert to safety. There is no milk available for the baby in Kuwait. They barely escaped when their car was stuck in the desert, desert sand, and help came from Saudi Arabia. I stayed behind and wanted to do something for my country. The second week after an invasion, I volunteered, volunteered at the Aladan Hospital with 12 other women who wanted to help as well. I was the youngest volunteer. The other women were from 20 to 30 years old. While I was there, I saw the Iraqi soldiers come into the hospital with guns. They took the babies out of incubators, took the incubators, and left the children to die on the cold floor. That was horrifying. I could not help but think of my nephew, who, if born premature, might have died that day as well. After I left the hospital, Some of my friends and I distributed flyers condemning the Iraqi invasion until we were warned we might be killed if the Iraqi sauce sauce. The Iraqis have destroyed everything in Kuwait. They've stripped the supermarkets of food, the pharmacies of medicine, the factories of medical supplies, ransacked their houses, and tortured neighbors and friends. I saw and talked to a friend of mine after his torture and released by the Iraqis. He is 22, but he looked as though he could have been an old man. The Iraqis dunked his head into a swimming pool until he almost drowned. They pulled out his fingernails and applied electric shock to sensitive private parts of his body. He was lucky to survive. If an Iraqi soldier was found dead in a neighborhood, they burned to the ground all the houses in, in the general vicinity and would not let firefighters come until the, until the only ashen rebel was left. The Iraqis were making fun of President Bush and verbally and physically abusing my family and me on our way out of Kuwait. We only did so because life in Kuwait became unbearable. They have forced us to hide, burn and destroy everything identifying our country and our government. I want to emphasize that Kuwait is our mother and then we are our father. I can keep going, but that's basically... um, Yes. And, and now we know that she was the daughter of a diplomat, and all of that was fake. Now, we, we yeah. definitely get our, um, you know, our conspiracy theories um, uh, verified quicker into, into totally. technological <laughs> world, but yes. this was fake. And this, what was that for? What do you think the reason to, to get people to sign up for war. That's what all of this is about. Yeah. No question about it. And let me just tell you, George W. Bush, his entire family are globalist scums. They're demons. Yeah. yeah. They're, they are demons. Okay. And so, and they, and I, I signed up for all that back then, buying into the propaganda. I get it. I was just a kid then, you know, so... Right. It wasn't, you know, this is a different world for me at that time. Um, I, I didn't really have, I was scared, but, 
you know, I, I thought we were the good guys. And I thought that, you know, we're the land of the free and the home of the brave. And we go in and we save people. Uh, yeah. And help people. people and all this yeah. other. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay. So I'm suggesting that as this, the information comes out over time, we should wait at least 24 hours and let the and let the anons go digging okay but if we didn't we would believe that a hospital uh, was bombed and 500 people died you still do okay even though i just posted. i don't know it's I a don't parking know. lot it's a parking lot it was a parking lot and some people died their cars got burned i don't know it was a okay and i know you uh, uh, don't believe that the babies were decapitated and burned. I don't know that either. Exactly. Okay. So, and and any kind of information, quote unquote proof that I give you or that you give me, you know, I I can't be sure of, of any of it, especially in, in times of, of war. Um, With saying, you know, you, you can have the last word on that, but it is 409 and I would love to have, some Please good news. God, any good news? Any I have good some, news. I have good news. Wonderful. <laughs> I have I have great news. First praise is the baby Jesus. Uh, praise the baby Jesus. So um, we're gonna. My first piece of good news is about Donald Trump, of course. Okay. Uh, the uh, that the other day, which was kind of not good news, and it really pissed me off. A gag order was placed on the President of the United States during his trial by a judge named Tanya Chutkin. You ever, you ever heard of Tanya Chutkin? She's yeah, an uh-huh. awful, awful human being. Okay? Yeah. And, and she has no business being on this case. <laughs> she has no business being on the bench. Okay. So, and she placed this gag order and said, tough shit, deal with it. Well, U.S. District Court Judge Tanya Chutkin, who is overseeing the federal case against former President Donald Trump pertaining to his objections to the 2020 election, has temporarily halted a gag order she placed on Trump earlier this week. In her order on Monday, Chutkin ruled that Trump is prohibited from making or reposting statements publicly targeting special counsel Jack Smith and his staff, whatever that means, okay? Um as well as Chutkin staff or U.S. District Court personnel. She additionally prohibited him from making statements about potential witnesses in the case and the substance of their potential testimony, severely limiting Trump's ability to defend himself campaign trail. Special Counsel Jack Smith had campaigned for the gag order for weeks, arguing that Trump would be able to threaten potential jurors or members of his staff otherwise. In response, Trump's legal team immediately filed an appeal and referred to the order as an abomination and an affront to free and fair elections. He's right. Today's decision is an absolute abomination and another partisan knife stuck in the heart of our democracy by crooked Joe Biden, who was granted the right to muzzle his political opponent, the leading candidate for the presidency in 2024, and the most popular political leader in America. That's Trump's lawyer saying that about him. President Donald J. Trump, the Trump campaign, wrote in a statement shortly after the order was imposed. President Trump will continue to fight for our Constitution, the American people's right to support him and keep our country free of the chains of weaponized and targeted law enforcement. Here's the kicker. 
Just days after the ruling, Chutkin temporarily halted her own order in response to the Trump campaign's appeal. The Obama appointee instructed prosecutors and Trump's attorneys to submit briefings on the matter, giving the Justice Department until Wednesday to respond to Trump's request for a longer pause on the gag order. Trump's legal team will then be required to respond by the following Saturday. So she had to rescind her own order because it's unconstitutional. You cannot gag someone uh-huh. from the public square. Um, other great news. This is the, from The Hill. Trump's polling continues to defy gravity. Um, Former uh, President Trump is leading President Biden and Democrat-turned-independent presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy in a three-way race, a new poll found. The Harvard-Caps-Harris poll, which is not Republican-friendly, to say the least, shared with The Hill showed Trump receiving 39% support, Biden receiving 33% support, and Kennedy receiving 19% support in a three-way race. Um, but the the polls that Trump sites are astronomical. He's kicking their ass so bad. Believe it or not, I'm putting this in the good news category. Sidney Powell pleaded guilty to a bunch of charges in the Georgia case, a bunch of misdemeanors. Nothing she pled did not plead guilty to any felonies, which she had been charged with multiple felonies. And um prediction, Sidney Powell won't be cooperating against Trump. Uh, which was the big thing that everybody was like smugging and snarking and saying that she turned state's evidence against Trump. It's not true. Today, Sidney Powell accepted a plea agreement from the Fulton County District Attorney pleading of six counts of conspiracy to commit intentional interference with performance of election duties. What the flock that means? They're all misdemeanors. She faces six years of probation, $6,000 fine, and has to pay $2,700 in restitution. Call that a win for the defense. Here's why. Powell was indicted with seven felony counts. Um, I'm not going to name all of them, but it was RICO. I don't know if you – but RICO stands for Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations. Yeah, they give that to mobsters. They give it to mobsters, yes. Sidney Powell, for God's sakes, an attorney. Two counts of conspiracy to commit election fraud, on and on and on. These charges are felonies um, and <clears throat> that carry heavy penalties. This is from Technofog. I want to give him credit. Love this guy. Been following him for years. Uh, I recommend following him on Telegram, on Twitter, X, whatever the hell it is, wherever you can find this guy. Telegram, follow Technofog. He's super um, measured. Right, he doesn't go for all the hairbrain, wild-eyed stuff, but he he says that this is a, a win for Trump's defense. Let me start by saying that I believe Powell is innocent; that there was no RICO conspiracy by her or anyone else; that the indictment, along with all the overt acts and furtherance of the conspiracy, is a joke. More on the charge conduct and RICO below. That this case never should have been brought; that it criminalizes political conduct and speech. You bet. But I'm not a Fulton County juror, and you probably aren't either. 
When these cases go to trial at the moment, no man, nobody knows if Kenneth Chesborough will be offered or accept a plea deal or go to trial October 23rd. The defendants will face a jury poll that is approximately 75% Democrat and only 25% Republican. The jurors will salivate at the chance to convict one anyone associated with Donald Trump. We've seen it in D.C. with the January 6th defendants. We've seen it with the anti-Trump activists who lied to get on the Roger Stone jury. They're not concerned about justice. It's political. So that's the bad news, right? Um, anyways, with all these factors at play, it's no surprise that a misdemeanor plea deal might be the best option. This is true even when you're innocent. Principle is great, but the system doesn't work for the innocent. Trial is a terrible place to get to the truth. It's an even worse place for justice. Better to accept a misdemeanor and go home instead of facing the near certainty of five years plus in prison and hundreds of thousand dollars in legal fees. So that's why they're saying Sidney Powell took that deal. But I want to read something. Can to I ask you. a question real quick, Lou? Go, go ahead. Um, hundreds of thousand, uh, thousands of dollars in legal fees. She's a lawyer. Who would she be paying those legal fees to? Lawyers never represent themselves. Okay. Well, that's- yeah, she she would have had to have hired an attorney. And there's been many people that have said since all of this, since he came down the elevator all those years ago, the process is the penalty. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. I'm sorry so to interrupt. The, no, it's okay. I, I that was a really great question. Um, so there's a, there's an old joke about the lawyer who is his own client is his is the, his worst client or some crap like that. So Lawyers have to hire attorneys. They can't – I mean, I think she would probably have been great at representing herself, but she. But in a case like this, going to a jury, you need representation. So she would have had to pay a bunch in legal fees. All of them have been bled dry over the years. So let me tell you what Trump said about the Sidney Powell plea agreement. Sidney Powell was one of the millions and millions of people who thought – and in ever-increasing numbers still think correctly that the 2020 presidential election was rigged and stolen and our country is being absolutely destroyed because of it. Despite the fake news reports to the contrary and without even reaching out to ask the Trump campaign, Ms. Powell was not my attorney and never was. In fact, she would have been conflicted. Ms. Powell did a valiant job of representing a very unfairly treated and governmentally abused General Mike Flynn, but to no avail. His prosecution, despite the facts, was ruthless. He was an innocent man, much like many other innocent people who are being persecuted by this now fascist government of ours, and I was honored to give him a full pardon. So that – you know when when Trump thinks someone has turned on him, he doesn't hesitate to talk shit about them – yeah, like Cohen. So there you go. Yeah. So she did it because of all the reasons that Technofog cited is that she, you know, she was not going to fight. And I, I don't blame her. Okay. So that is, even though it's kind of crummy that she pled guilty, it's still in the good news column for me today. Um, <clears throat> and then we got next um, Brian Cates. He is draw and strike Brian Cates, um, and uh, another really great follow. If you're not following him on Telegram, on Twitter, uh, definitely a great follow. True Social, all of them. Um, <clears throat> so that he starts with a quote from Julian Assange: "If wars can be started by lies, peace can be started by truth." 
and that was a quote from Julian Assange. And uh, he starts his, his article by saying, we are all Julian Assange now, it seems. Let me be the first to say that for many years, when I looked, Juli- when I looked at Julian Assange, all I saw was a virulently anti-American asshole doing anti-American assholeish things as he tried to subvert and destroy American foreign policy around the globe from his position as the head of WikiLeaks. Brian Cates was not an Assange fan, okay? And I talked about this many, many times from around 2014 through as recently as early as last year. How my view of Assange was that of a criminal hacker who exposed American secrets to our enemies when nobody elected him to be the arbiter of what should and should not be classified material. It's a great point, actually. And the arguments I I was making made complete sense to me. Until I was forced to reassess 9-11, the rise of the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and ISIS, and I discovered that something I I had stridently rejected time and again for many years was actually true. This is how I've been evolving myself, Danielle, and you know that. 9-11 was an inside job. Since the CIA, working in conjunction with other foreign nations, intelligence agencies, were directly involved in the creation of the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and ISIS. So he has a shot of the funeral with George W. Bush, Jeb Bush, and the mom. What's her name? Barbara. Barbara. No, the other one, married to George. Oh, gosh. Irrelevant. Um, I know. What's her name? Yeah. George okay. Bush's wife. What the hell is her name? <laughs> Shit. Okay. Let Hold me on. just. Uh, and this is senior or. Junior. No, this is junior, right? Yeah. What is his name? It's not Barbara. No, is it Barbara? No. That's, that's the, oh, gray hair. Senior. That's George's wife. George Sr. It doesn't matter. It'll come Laura. to us. Okay. Laura Bush. Okay. Thank, thank God. Okay. There's a a video clip. At whose funeral was it? John McCain's? Oh, okay. Everyone is there. Hillary, Obama, the Bushes. Everyone is there. Uh-huh. At this funeral. Okay. And they have video clips of them all opening an envelope. Letters. Yes. Letters. And the looks on their faces, these people are terrified. Yes. I wonder if you could get that clip. Anyway. Yeah, so I, I probably can, but it's not going to come across very well with just audio. No, because it's not – yeah, there's no, there's no voice to it, although people talk no. about it. Okay. And they're opening these envelopes, and they're looking around at each other. They're showing it to each other, and the looks on their face is like they're terrified. I, and I imagine we will never know. But this is the kind of stuff that Anons discovered and why we don't trust these people anymore. And I, believe me, most of us are diehard patriots, Harold Wren. Harold Finch, okay, all of us saw these videos and came to realize that, yes, 9-11 was an inside job since the CIA – I'm quoting – now I'm quoting back to Brian Cates. 
CIA, working in conjunction with other foreign nations, intelligence agents were directly involved in the creation of the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and ISIS, which is who they kept telling us dumped the babies on the floor and you know flew into the freaking buildings and all this other business, okay? One of those pieces fell into place. Once those pieces fell into place, it doesn't matter all that much whether or not the CIA, MI6, Mossad, Saudi Arabia, intelligence agencies, along with the Pakistani ISI, developed the strategy and gave the order for the 9-11 attacks to their subsidiaries inside AQ, or whether AQ, Al-Qaeda, developed the attack all on their own, and the various intelligence agencies merely made a decision to step out of their way, which, right back to what you thought, Danielle, with the, the quote-unquote intelligence failures from on October 7th, okay, that's the part I, I unequivocally, I know that it's fishy, because the Mossad is the one of the best in the world. They could not have not known. Right. And and very much partnered with all of the other best world intelligence agencies. Yes. Or whether Al Qaeda developed the attack all on their own and the various intelligence agencies merely made a decision to step out of their way and let the attack happen. It's tantamount to the same thing. What kind of government plans or plots attacks on its own citizens to further a war profiteering agenda? Who can make such awful calculations that the sacrifice of 3,000 human beings here or 1,000 over there will generate a guaranteed revenue stream of XXXXXX dollars over the next decade or two and therefore either plan such an attack or step out of the way of a terrorist group it's watching like a hawk and let that group launch its attack? Great question. The $2 trillion that the military-industrial complex sucked up from across the globe over the past two decades from the Iraq wars and the Afghanistan occupation got sucked up either way. Whether we have a shadow government planning and launching these terrorist attacks through their own enabled terror group proxies, or they are instead simply leaving the door open and letting the hit take on, take, and taking the hit on purpose. Was it not exceedingly strange how once Al-Qaeda was degraded to the point of no longer being a viable threat in the Middle East, that by 2012, ISIS suddenly appeared and seized por large portions of Syria and Iraq while the U.S. President Barack Obama helplessly shrugged and pretended to be caught by surprise, followed by three years of Obama complaining that ISIS wasn't, was going to be a generational threat and how the U.S. was simply going to have to expand its military presence in the region to counter that threat. There's a great picture of Obama shrugging. Meh. I suspect the helpless act that Obama began would have been continued by Hillary Clinton had she won the 2016 presidential election. Yes. She, they got a great picture of her shrugging. She, too, would have shrugged helplessly and professed bewilderment at how U.S. forces and their allies just couldn't seem to stop ISIS's slow-moving armored convoys gallivanting around the region without an, any air cover whatsoever. Big mystery. Truly a puzzle. Only as we know, by some arcane and wizardous sorcery, Clinton did not win the 2016 election. Some outsider, an arrogant alpha male business tycoon named Donald Trump did. And an amazing thing happened from January through August of 2017. All of a sudden, ISIS lost its mysterious invincibility. Suddenly, ISIS convoys attempting to move from town to town from, from city to city were being mercilessly destroyed by air power and U.S. and Gulf Corporation Council forces 
were able to go in and decimate ISIS strongholds on the ground. It was almost, and it's in air quotes, as if certain forces in the West had been enabling and leaving the door open for ISIS to do the attacks it had been doing. And strangely, once Trump assumed control of the U.S. military and foreign policy, it looked like that open door was quickly slammed shut. Was ISIS, suppo- was ISIS supposed to still be, the- be here? Was the military-industrial complex supposed to be widening and enlarging the U.S. and Western military presence in the Middle Eastern region from 2017 to 2023? to help contain the growing, he's got all this in quotes, the growing ISIS threat? Was Donald Trump never supposed to be president and expose how terror groups were being used to drive war profiteering? Was Hillary Clinton, who would be well into her second term at this point, supposed to continue pretending ISIS was invulnerable and sending more and more U.S. resources to the Middle East to contain that growing threat? I think these are all very legitimate questions. Are we watching history repeat itself in this latest Israel-Hamas attack? At the current moment, this exact same playbook appears to be playing out yet again, as there is no rational explanation I can see as yet for how hundreds of Hamas terrorists streamed across guarded and watched border in the world last week in slow-moving paragliders and trucks to kill almost a thousand. Now it's, they know it's 1,400 now, by the way, the number, supposedly. Almost a thousand Israeli citizens and tourists while grabbing a multitude of hostages and then successfully retreating back over the aforementioned border. Does it, again, in big quotes, really matter all that much if the real owners of Israel created Hamas and used that group to launch this attack, or if they had advance warning of the coming terror attack and made the strategic decision to step out of the way and let it happen, the same people are going to make their dollars either way. Within the last two weeks, two highly reported events that were used to stoke war fervor on both sides were almost instantly debunked that 40 Israeli babies had been beheaded. So, there, so Brian Cates doesn't believe it. A narrative that seems to have been crafted to enrage Israel and her supporters, followed by the report that the Israeli Defense Forces, IDF, had bombed a hospital in Gaza and killed over 500 civilians, a report that instantly enraged Palestinians and Hamas supporters worldwide. It's a bit of a long article, but do, do you love this information or what? It's good, right? Yes. What was most fascinating for me to observe over the last week, how some reacted to the war propaganda narratives being so quickly debunked. They hated it. Guess what? That's what we got from Trump, too. By disputing the debunking of the 40 babies Gaza hospital narratives, this exposed several media institutions reporters who seemed more set on stoking the fires of the conflict rather than on dispassionately reporting on the actual facts. Kind of tough to do that. The development of social media being used not only to spread wartime propaganda, but also to debunk it is a new feature not seen in previous conflicts. This is the good news. Including that still ongoing conflict in Eastern Europe. All right, all right. Ukraine. Hold on. Please stop. Please stop. Go. You're, you're buffering. Okay. I think you're back. Let me know when it – am I back? I think so, yeah. This development of social media being 
used not only to spread wartime propaganda but also to debunk it is a new feature not seen in previous conflicts, including that still ongoing conflict in Eastern Europe. I cannot help but wonder how much differently the Russia-Ukraine war would have gone if by chance Elon Musk had purchased the Twitter social media app in late 2021 rather than late 2022. And isn't that sickening, that question? How would the early days of the conflict in eastern Ukraine have unfolded if there had been the kind of immediate widespread pushback on false narratives that we are currently observing in the Israel-Hamas situation? So I'm going to stop there for a second. Tell me a pop quiz, even though there's only one person to do the quiz, what's my favorite part of this article so far? Um... Uh, that line right there. Yeah, this okay. development uh, yeah, of social meant, media yeah. is being uh, this development of social media being used not only to spread wartime propaganda but also debunk it is a new feature not seen in previous conflicts. Isn't it weird so, that I got put in Facebook jail for a post in 2020 this week? It's not weird. It's not weird. So. We're obviously st- they're still trying to silence us, but guess what? They don't have the hands on the reins anymore. That's the good news. I went through this entire article, and of course I, I had already decided to, because there's more about Julian Assange, which I knew, know you'll love. I would already decided to read it, but when I read that line, I said to myself, anons, 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 anons. When I found out about George W. Bush, wasn't from you shrieking from the rooftops, Danielle. It's when I saw them get that note. And I knew. And I knew then that we had been lied to. Of course, there was lots and lots and lots and lots of other pieces of the puzzle, all supplied by Anons, people like Brian Cates, Technofog, uh, Harold Wren, the library, uh, Tracy Beans, on and on and on and on. There's so many of us now. We are the media now. And I have to say, yeah, but, I have yeah. to say just really quick that um, I think that this new conflict was designed to divide the Anons. I know that, and it and it it's working on some levels. Okay, it's not gonna. It's it. Believe we we are not going to be destroyed because the good news is that we get to look at this stuff and and decide In real for time, ourselves. Yeah. Yes. Well, okay. So there's pictures of the puppy. Remember, they were they were they were trying to pass off a picture uh, of of Jewish babies incinerated, and it turned out AI said it was they were puppies. Okay. So, you know they they should they're trying to pass these pictures around for a reason. Okay. For for reasons on all sides, so they could say, "Ha ha, you were fooled." Also, because it will inflame passions. Okay. But it got debunked in real time. The pictures that they posted. Yeah. Right? And and keep in mind, also, Danielle, you're correct. There are people that are going to be believe this stuff on both sides. And I have my own personal reasons for believing that a bunch of babies got killed. I don't know how many. I know that children were killed on October 7th. I don't know. And, but, and now they, there's these autopsy reports, which we, you know, again, fog of war. Okay. I but, can agree with you. That people and children 
possibly puppies also died, you know? I think there's yeah. there's actually like a um uh an element to the left who would have resonated more with puppies dying uh, than babies, uh, you know? Can you can you freaking believe these people? Holy no. shit. Okay, I'm going to keep reading. So, um for, for, um I already read that. Okay, for days last year, I watched the patently absurd wartime propaganda endlessly repeated by the legacy news media that Russia, that a Russian convoy was stranded outside of a strategic city in eastern Ukraine because the trucks had run out of gas or suffered mechanical breakdown. What utter nonsense. Russian forces had total and complete air cover and superiority. The convoy stopped because it was offloading whatever it was transporting into the region. Okay. That was just a minor instance of wartime propaganda, Brian continues, being fed to the international public square. Almost everything the public was told about the Ukraine conflict by the fake news media for the past year and a half has turned out to be, surprise, fake news. Fake news. I'm going to pause you uh, for 18 seconds, okay? Okay. All right, go ahead, continue. (laughs) I love that clip. Fried chicken on a Friday night. Okay. (laughs) This was good. And with air, air, air raid sirens. I love it. Surprise, fake news. You don't hate the media enough. Thanks to the recent developments in the Middle East, the Mockingbird media gets to propagandize the public about two ongoing conflicts rather than just one. They really get to spin our heads, right? Super the one. drawback is yeah. – <laughs> but wait, there's more. <sighs> but the drawback is that the constant stream of never-ending lies, distortions, and propaganda has alerted the public that something is seriously wrong with the present legacy news media. Far from serving the truth and working hard to give the public the facts, the same media outlets are found time and again to be playing the unacknowledged roles of stenographers and transcriptionists to devious intelligence agencies. Shall I read that again? Far from serving the truth and working hard to give the public the facts, the same media outlets are found time and again to be playing the unacknowledged roles of stenographers and transcriptionists to devious intelligence agencies out to sell false narratives to attempt to where they would like to see it go. When the playbook is known and the public is increasingly aware of increasingly deceptive attempts to lie to it to get it to go along with a certain agenda, the more diminished the results become. I have said this since the day I started coming on this show, that there's there's millions of us that have stopped believing the bullshit. And I, I, can't, I can't thank the Anons, President Donald J. Trump, people like you, people like me. I'm thanking ourselves. We're just not buying their crap anymore. Thus, the agencies behind the scenes driving all of this have a choice. Try better and more cleverly couch deceptions on the public or admit the awful truth. There's a picture of Michael Flynn sitting next to John Brennan, James Clapper, James Comey, 
about telling lies about ISIS. That's why they went after him. You ought to see the looks on their faces. He's telling the truth. Director Flynn is yeah. telling the truth about about it at, at, a, at a congressional hearing, and they're furious. Sadly, guess which option they'll pick every time. I never thought I would see this day come where I would say this, but we are all Julian Assange now. Yeah. The only way, the only way you stop the war machine is with truth, with the truth. And I have belatedly come to the realization that this is what Assange was trying to do with his disclosure disclosures at WikiLeaks, and my blind pro-America rah-rah flag-waving zealotry kept me from seeing his agenda accurately. God, I love me him. Too. Me too, Brian. It wasn't blind anti-Americanism. They have lied us into every war and conflict by propagandizing the public. There is a lot our government has been doing that it has been hiding from us. It took a COVID pandemic to fully expose how much of the government agent, how much of the government agencies not only do not have the best interests of Americans at heart, they will deliberately lie to all of us to harm us in the furtherance of their agendas. It took a stolen election in 2020 to wake up many Americans and start them asking the right questions, investigating and researching to discover just how corrupt many of the county, country, county election systems have become, county election systems. And it took the outbreak of the conflict in Ukraine and now the new one in Israel to continue fully exposing how intelligence agencies shape and warp public perceptions by using propaganda push by news media, in quotes, in order to further the agenda of the military-industrial complex. As the lies we've been told all our lives are exposed, the truth becomes more and more visible. The truth does not only set you free, it frees you to begin taking action. It puts a path in front of you now that you have begun to see how horribly wrong things have gone and what must be accomplished to make things right. The quest for justice can never reach its end until the exposure of the lies has occurred and the truth has been fully seen and universally acknowledged. As I look back over the last several years, the trend lines are bending in the favor of the Great Awakening. We went through a rough couple of years, but I believe we have turned the corner. The tide is turning, and it is turning in our favor. Oh, that's awesome. I love I love that every single word of that article. He was speaking for me. It's how they did it to me. It's how they bullshitted me. Um, you don't hate the media enough. Yep. You, yep. I, I love it. Um, he did too. He used to bash Julian Assange, talking shit about him, and you know because he's just a whatever. Why is he saying all this stuff? Why? 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 Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, it's not like he hacked into these systems by himself. He was no. a publisher. I know. I know. Good so, American. Said. Some really great, yeah, really great news. Uh, I, you're right. I'm sorry. I I tend to do that, but l- let me just tell you. I thought Julian Assange was was a, a, a raconteur. I thought he was a bad guy. Why is he doing that? Res- you know, revealing our secrets. He's going to get people killed, which is what they told me was going to happen. If that, if that, but now I know that they classify people's freaking visits to the bathroom. Yeah. Okay. So so. We classified information. It's like really super secret, super important stuff. We'll come find out. No, they classified all the stuff about them trying to get Trump. Okay, so yeah. no. 
here's some good news, some really great news. You guys ready? Are you ready? Great ready. news, actually, and we all need it, in case you missed it. A 14-year-old Fairfax County High School student was recently named America's top scientist. He invented a bar of soap aimed at fighting skin cancer. Heman Bekele, a freshman at Woodson High School in Northern Virginia, spent his summer break working to cure cancer. He was named America's top young scientist for creating a bar of soap designed to fight low-grade skin cancer. I wanted to try and find a way for the entire world to be ha have an equitable and accessible form of skin cancer treatment. The 14-year-old calls it Skin Cancer Treating Soap, or SCTS for short. The soap replenishes the skin with dendritic cells, which help protect the skin and fight cancer. Beckley says that after getting a prescription, the soap can be applied to the skin every couple of days, and then one will start to see progress. Before making the soap, he reached out to the University of Virginia professors to help with the research. After developing the soap, Beckley entered Discovery Education's 3 Million Young Scientists Challenge in St. Paul, Minnesota to compete. Out of the nine students, he won the top prize of $25,000 and was named America's Top Young Scientist. I love this story. Um, Paul's daddy died from uh, skin cancer. Um, I'm sure we've made lots of leaps since then, but um, that just made my day. If you'd like to ask, access this article that I read by Brian Cates, I'm going to post it in the Seeds of Change. It's really good. It, it's worth uh, worth another read because um, I picked up a couple new things just as we um, just as I read it out loud to the um, to the folks. So uh, what do you plan to play, Danielle, for the rest of the show? Because you know I have to go feed the chickens. Um, okay, so two things, uh, three things, actually. John Michael's with us. Um, I'm going to let him in. Uh, it, but I would also like to play a couple things. Um, hold on. Hi, John Michael. Hello. Hi, I muted myself because I'm on a really busy street, and I don't—I know it drives you guys crazy whenever I call in because I'm always so loud. No, it's okay. You're actually pretty muffled right now. I mean, you sound really good, actually. Not a yeah. lot of Oh, well, that's noise. good. Mm -hmm. Amen. Okay. Amen. So, Hallelujah. So two, uh, two things. Uh, one, I would like to go back to, I believe this is 2017. Um, and this is a, an interview with Hillary Clinton. Okay. Uh, so I'm not, say, but I'm not going to stay. I am going to log off. I love you very much. Okay. You well, no, no, great... no, then I'll, I'll move. Nope. Hold on. Then I will move uh, the first, because there's one I need you to hear. Okay. Oh, um, all right. Yep. All right. And this is. Nobody uh, clears a room like Hillary. That's for uh, sure. Oh my God. I know. Yeah. Right. yeah I got to go. Uh, I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but. Hold on. Um, th there is last night. Um, we, the children and I, had a, a Bible session. Um, cool. And yes, and Aiden was, meh, meh, you know, not really, you know, liking the things that we were saying. You know, well, it was really hard for him, for him to understand. Um, and so I, um, I, I kind of presented it. Um, the topic in a way that he could understand. But first okay. I said a Bible verse, couple Bible verses, which are my favorite. 
which are, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Love of Christ. Within Christ Jesus, our Lord. Okay. And, you know, I see my son rolling his eyes and trying to do something else. Right. And then I was like, okay, so I know that you didn't understand that message. I'm going to present it in a way that you will understand. Okay. And so, and here it is. Three, two, one. Okay, so I looked for the song everywhere and I couldn't find it, so I'm going to sing it for you. But I don't know it very well. So it's very simple. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor does a really good version because what you quoted from Danielle is from Romans if I'm not mistaken right it is and Mm -hmm. they do a very good version or a very good song and the chorus is it's a blend of that scripture and the other scripture which says um for God be for us then who can stand against us right amen and so they do a wonderful version and the, the chorus goes something like if God be for us who can stand against us nothing can separate that's how the song goes and it's it's just a beautiful song like uh oh, it's Indiana Bible it. College that does does the and then the, the of course the 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 a verse is, is her going through and saying you know um I am convinced that, right, I'm convinced that neither height nor depth nor angels, right? So she says that in the in the verse. But there's just something about the Word of God when it's put to song that just, it, you know, I mean, I, especially as someone who struggled recently with faith, right, with my faith and struggled, there's just something about the Word of God that's put to song that just really, like, gets in the devil's throat, right? Because he wants us to be 
listening, you know, this music industry is, I could we could have a whole show on just how demonic and literally insane the music industry has gotten recently. Uh, but it's so nice when you can have a song that, that uh, points you to God, right? And kind of like Absolutely. gets you like, you know, reminds you who you belong to, right? Like, hey, wait a minute, you're a child of the most high God, right? Amen. Uh, so I love that. I love that for us. I love that. For All right, us. Mom, I know you have to go. Um, I love you. Thank you for sticking with me for um, the majority of the show. Peace be upon all who inhabit this place. It was my pleasure, Danielle. I think we had a great conversation today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, I love sis. you so much. I love you. Take care. I Bye. love you so much, Carla. I, I love, love you. Carla. I can't wait to go to the movies with you. I know. I'm so excited. Danielle, right. we're, well, you know, I have to see if I can come down there because they told me I can't, but I'm working on something. So oh, I got to right. come yeah. down there. Okay. We got to go Prayers see that up. movie. Okay. Prayers Bless up. Bless you. Love you, too. Bye, Mom. Okay. Hi, John Michael. Hi. Who's with us? Is it just me or you? I thought I heard someone else earlier. Is it Lily? Nope. No, no. Just the two of us. Just the two of us. Just the two of us. Hey, okay. I can stick around for a little bit. I'm just on my way to church. Oh, okay. Awesome. Um, Okay, so Mom and I were just talking about good news. Um, and okay. you know, a lot of people well, I have don't some really quick good news. If you don't mind. No, please do. Okay. I, my good news today is real simple. I'm going to church right now. And today is our, uh, our baptism day for church. And so at least two of my friends, possibly three of my friends are getting baptized tonight. So I am so excited. Um, it's just feels good to be like, okay, I'm leading people to Jesus. And that is good. So that's my good news. That's where I'm going. I'm going heading there right now so I can celebrate with them and enjoy and rejoice with them. Is it, uh, do you dunk or dunk or sprinkle? So we, I go to a church that dunks, but I think, you know, I'm so baptism's like one of those things that is so, um, it can be very controversial depending on who you're talking to. Right. Um, yeah. But I am one of those people who feels like the water baptism is not the real baptism. Hear me out. Um, I think it's what John points to when John says, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's one that comes after your, after me who is mightier Fire. than I. Huh? Fire. Right, who baptizes you with fire and the Holy Spirit. And as somebody who was baptized with fire, so to speak, because before I was baptized in water, I, I think I was baptized with, the, you know, that I, I definitely had the experience of being like, holy cow, this, you know, sorry, Lord, for that. But, you know, of having that experience of saying this stuff about Jesus is true, right? And having that experience yeah. of having my eyes, op- eyes opened, and that was long before I took a dunk in a pool, right? So, yeah, definitely I think the fire and the Holy Spirit is the baptism that's really important, right? Right. Um, that's the true, the true baptism. And sometimes for some people I think it happens in a pool of water, as ironic as that is. And for other people I think it happens before, right? And yes. some people I'm sure it happens after, I've never right? been baptized. I mean, by fire. But you know what, sure. you have, though, because you've been baptized yes. with the Holy Spirit. If you believe that Jesus yes. Christ is the truth, the life, and the way, and you believe he is the only thing that – that uh, reconciles you to God and that he died for your sins and et cetera, et cetera, right? If you believe those things, then you're already baptized with the Holy Spirit. You've, you've received the seal 
of his I promise. Have, I for believe, sure. Right? Never. Okay, I, I should rephrase it by saying I've never been dunked or sprinkled. Right. And that's okay. I think I think the nope. water baptism is a great public. It's not. It doesn't save you, right? That's not what saves you. We're saved by belief only, right? By and belief. so the baptism is more of that public declaration. And you know, as yes. someone who got rebaptized, it wasn't that I needed to be saved again or that I needed to. No, I've already been sealed. I've already been saved. I've already received the Holy Spirit. It was more so that public declaration that. I believe that Jesus Christ, I need to follow his path that he has for me, right? So, yes. I don't know. No, I totally agree. And that, yeah, if you, right. if, if people feel that they need to have this ceremony to seal their, you know, their uh, commitment to God, more power to them. I will stand there. Wow. I will, you know. I will bake a, a buttercream cake with a big white, you know, buttercream frosting on top. You know what I mean? Like, I'll do all of that stuff. You know, if, if they feel they need to do that, that's fine. I'm telling you, I've never been dunked or sprinkled, and I have um, an absolute uh, commitment to God, you know? So, yeah. yeah. I know I'm on the bus, and it's probably really loud, Danielle. So if you need me to, like, mute myself if it's driving me crazy, just let me know. No, you're fine. You're fine. Um, oh, I love it. I love it. Um, how long do I have you? Um, you know, probably about 20 minutes, give or take. All right, cool. Um, let me just, uh, oh gosh, I, I kind of feel like, um, you know, in the list of, of things, because my mom uh, just brought up um, the 2016 election, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. something that she feels um you know, is, is very important. And I, I, I kind of agree. Um, mm-hmm. So right after Trump was elected, there was a, an incident in Syria um, where, you know, I'm guided by the beauty of the missiles, right? The CNN, you know, uh, pundits were like, Oh, this is, he's a, he's actually a president now because he, because he bombed, Syria, right? right? And, and um, the other candidate in that election was Hillary Clinton, right? So mm-hmm. she was asked uh, in a, an interview, it's a, a Women for Women event, um, about that attack, right? Um, I would mm-hmm. like to play her answer to that, if you can. Okay, let me mute myself while you play it. All right, cool. Uh, this is possibly, like, slightly before... Uh, but here we go. Three, two, one. Potentially, um, you know, backroom deals were made with the Russians. Oh, I mean, yep. we later that it really made much it, because there was, you know, that, that wasn't my my role. But hold on, uh, hold on. Too soon to really. Did you help? There we go. Did the Syria strike work? Well, I think it's too soon to really. Did you help? Uh, yes, I did support it. I didn't publicly support it because there was, you know, that, that wasn't my, my role, but I did support it. Um, but I am not convinced that it really made much of a difference. And I don't know what kind of potentially, um, you know, backroom deals were made with the Russians. I mean, we later learned that the Russians and the Syrians moved jets off the runway. 
uh, that the Russians may have been given a heads up even before our own Congress was. So I think there's a lot that we don't really yet fully know about what was part of that strike. And if all it was was a one-off uh, effort, uh, it's not going to have much of a lasting effect. And, you know, Syria is another one of those wicked problems, which everybody uh, is, you know, desperately trying to figure out how to stop a civil war, how to prevent uh, Iran from... Okay. All right. So, um, that to me was so significant because... The reason, you know, ah, you know, I don't really think that it did much because, you know, uh, Russia was given a heads up, right? So now we know years and years later that um, NATO, um, if something happened with NATO, if Russian troops or American troops, so let's say that that Russia killed American troops, um, it would have been uh, a NATO-involved situation, Um, allies would have been alliances would have been triggered on either side right so donald trump giving a heads up to the russians wasn't enough you know wasn't oh we're just getting jets off the runway it was getting troops off of the runway and honestly like it not giving a heads up to the russians um would have resulted in russian death and it would have basically triggered world war two three i'm sorry because alliances china russia you know u.s uk all of them would have been um triggered would you know what i mean like that right there like just that just that one thing if hillary clinton would have won that election she would not have given Russian, Russia a heads up, and there would have been Russian soldiers on that shared runway, and there would have been dead Russian soldiers. So basically, no, you know, like putting up this no-fly zone Hillary Clinton, uh, also, you know what I mean? Like that she would have wanted to implement a no-fly yeah. zone. All of these things is trying to trigger. World War Three, in my opinion. What do you think about that? Hello, are you there? Sorry, uh, what, what did you ask, Danielle? Do you think, like, judging from that clip, do you think that Hillary Clinton, if she was president, and you know, um, not Donald Trump, if she would have won that election and would have been president? Do you think that she would have sparked World War III? No, absolutely not. I mean, you know, the thing about it, too, that we have to keep in mind is they were so rapidly anti-Donald Trump that even when he was doing things that they themselves would have done, they still would try to – and I think both sides do that, right? I absolutely think she would have done the same thing if she was in his position – um, mm. she would have let them know. You know what I mean? Um, I, so, no, I, I don't believe that for a second. I think that I think she still suffers from um, disbelief. You know, she still has this narrative in her mind that she won the election somehow. Yes. 
Um, you know what I mean? That just because she won the, the popular vote, she she won the presidency, and I think she still has that narrative in her mind, right? Um, mm. And I think no matter what happens, she's always going to have that failed, you know. And, and we have to keep in mind, too, like Hillary Clinton, just, she wasn't just rejected once, right? She was rejected twice. Um, so, and I voted for her in uh, 2008 over Obama. I voted for her. And, uh, oh, did you? Yeah, I know. Let that sink in. I'm sure some of your listeners are going to hate me for saying that, but I did. Uh, you know, and uh, well, they yeah, know I voted I for think, Obama, so either way. Oh, my dad was so mad in 2008. My dad was a very, uh, I wouldn't say he was a liberal by any means, but he was definitely a Democrat. And he was so mad when I told him that I voted for Hillary Clinton over Barack Obama. He was like, I don't understand how you could even do that. And he was, he basically was in, he was into the whole, uh, I guess you could say he was into the killery. He was up on the killery and the, you know, the different stuff before it became more um, mainstream. Don't ask me how. Don't ask me, you know, how he knew all that before the Internet, really, you know. Um, But he was definitely like, do you know how many people that woman has killed? And stuff like that. So, um, you know, yeah, definitely interesting. So they've had a reputation, though. Hillary and Bill have had a reputation for, you know, decades. Like yeah, I know that, yeah. that they were hindsight's twenty twenty for sure. Um, there's this right. Saturday night Saturday night live Saturday night live clip that um uh <laughs> that Hill like they were um talking about Hillary uh coming up to the two thousand sixteen election and um and basically like the best quote of it was that um this guy with a funny name stumbled out of a soup kitchen with a basketball and a cigarette in my mouth in his mouth and stole my dreams. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, because it was her turn. Remember when she did it that was. in 2016, it, it was her turn. And then yeah. Bernie Sanders comes out of nowhere and starts beating the shit out of her every fucking election, every primary. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden her turn turned into this, you know, 79-year-old Jew from Vermont is, you know, trying to steal my election, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, she's, you know, to, to your original question, do I think she would have done the same thing? Absolutely. She would have done worse, though. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like, like we can safely assume that, it, like, Donald Trump is not the worst person to ever be president that Hillary Clinton would have been, right? I think that's a I fair do. estimate. I think we would already be at war. I don't. I have no doubt. If Hillary Clinton was president right now, we would be bombing the shit out of Palestine. Uh, we would have American boots on the ground in Jordan and uh, Lebanon and all the surrounding countries, and we would be bombing the shit out of them right now if Hillary I was president, totally right? Agree. Yes. Yeah. It's so I, I, I do. I do believe that, and I, I know that maybe some people don't think that, but I definitely think that. You know. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. She's a war hawk. She admitted it. She, that, that was why she lost the election to Obama, the 2008 primary, was because Democratic voters on the whole, allegedly at that time, were, you know, we got to throw allegedly in there because we somehow always constantly get snookered into going to war still, even though we say yeah. that we're tired of it, right? We, somehow we always manage to get the, the wool pulled over, excuse me, pulled over our eyes, but yeah, certainly, you know, that was why Hillary Clinton lost, was because Barack Obama kept hitting the shit out of her on her, on her vote to go to war in Iraq, 
and she didn't back down. Remember, she infamously, very infamously said that she would do it again, right? Yeah. <laughs> Even with all the information, which is like the dumbest fucking answer that you could give. Like, he gave her a chance to say, no, I would, if I knew what I knew now, knowing this, I would not have voted for it, right? He gave her an opportunity, yeah. and she, of course, did not take it. She was like, no, I would do it again. Because I think, Hillary, I think you know, that's the thing about Hillary Clinton, too, is I don't think she would ever say that she would do something differently because in her Bill Clinton's imaginative fantasy of their lives, they've never done anything wrong to begin with, right? So what right. would they need to do differently? Like, the only thing they would do differently is not get caught, right, in their, in the stuff that they've done, right? For sure. So, I mean, in, I don't in, know. I'm, I'm the, just conjecturing spirit, here. No, you're totally right. But in the spirit of hindsight is 2020, right? Um, I believe, okay, think about what happened with uh, Joe Biden and Kamala, right? Yeah. Drop out, mm-hmm. um, and, and I will appoint you to something much greater, right? And that's why she's vice president. Um, so all of these things, by, uh, you know, Obama's like, oh, all of these things, like, yeah, I've given you all of these chances to say that you're not a war hawk. But then she gets appointed as um, – Secretary the person of, in know, charge of, of foreign policy. Yeah, yes. Secretary of State. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know, there was a lot of, there's, there's some interesting books from around that time, but there was a lot of uh, people who were upset that Obama did not choose her to be his running mate. There were quite a lot of people who were pissed off about it, right? Hillary supporters mm. that were never Obama, you could call them, right? They were, they were yeah. not voting for Obama under any circumstances. And, you know, that, I think that points to the, to the underlying racism of the Democratic Party. And we've talked, we've talked about this, you and I, how I've had some things said to me by Democrats that I don't think would have ever crossed the, a Republican's mind to say, right? Um, For sure, yeah. Because they, just, they would just never have ever said something like that because they're not racist deep down, right? Um, are they ignorant? Sure. Are they sometimes, do they sometimes say things ignorantly? Of course, who doesn't, Right. But I've had some things said to me by people who are fair-minded liberal voters that are, you know, that claim that they are for equality, and, and I think it points to that, right? Because there were yeah. people on – I remember in 2008, there were, there were people grumbling about Obama being a dumb nigger for winning the, the nomination over Hillary. Even though he won fair and square, even though – you know what I'm saying? There were grumbles, yes. right? So, yes. um, And I don't think the Democratic Party has ever gotten rid of its racist – undertones, right? They expect black people to origin. vote for them. Why? Because uh-huh. racist origins. Yeah, that too, right? I mean, I think they, they expect black people to vote for them because what else are you going to do? It's their exactly. slogan, right? It's not a, a vote for us because we care. Vote for us because we're actually like, we've actually done things for y'all. No, it's, well, what, look at the other side. They're racist. Well, you know, eventually that narrative breaks down, and I'm, I'm by no means a Republican, but you know that. I'm by no means a Republican. Um, I'm certainly a, uh, an independent, but I feel like I'm getting more conservative as I get older, which I never yes. thought I would, would but I, I feel like I'm getting more conservative. And as the, the left kind of goes further and further out there and uh, the pronoun wars of, of 2023 and the, you know, and the uh, all that stuff, you know, I'm kind of getting more and more conservative, you know, so. Yeah. Since I only have you for another 10 minutes or so, I would like to pay it, play a three-minute clip. Oh, I guess I can uh, stay on longer with you if you really want. But, yeah, go play whatever you want. 
Okay. I can stay so on a little bit longer. I don't have to be the show until six thirty. I am going to go pick up some food, so I might have to mute, mute you for mute. like That's five fine. minutes while I order. You know. So this is a uh, a three minute clip uh, from okay. two thousand nine on the House floor by Ron Hall. Um, and, and and I would love your thoughts on how this applies then and certainly now. Okay, here we oh, go. Oh, you're texting me. Okay, I like that. Hold on, yep. let me mute myself. All right, three, two, one. Madam Speaker, I have a few questions for my uh, colleagues. What if our foreign policy of the past century is deeply flawed and has not served our national security interests? What if we wake up one day and realize that the terrorist threat is a predictable consequence of our meddling in the affairs of others and has nothing to do with us being free and prosperous? What if propping up repressive regimes in the Middle East endangers both the United States and Israel? What if occupying countries like Iraq and Afghanistan and bombing Pakistan is directly related to the hatred directed toward us? What if someday it dawns on us that losing over 5,000 American military personnel in the Middle East since 9-11 is not a fair trade-off for the loss of nearly 3,000 American citizens, no matter how many Iraqi, Pakistani, and Afghan people are killed or displaced? What if we finally decide that torture, even if called enhanced interrogation technique, is self-destructive and produces no useful information and that contracting it out to a third world nation is just as evil? What if it is finally realized that war and military spending is always destructive to the economy? What if all wartime spending is paid for through the deceitful and evil process of inflating and borrowing? What if we finally see that wartime conditions always undermine personal liberty? What if conservatives who preach small government wake up and realize that our interventionist foreign policy provides the greatest incentive to expand the government? What if conservatives understood once again that their only logical position is to reject military intervention and managing an empire throughout the world? What if the American people woke up and understood that the official reasons for going to war are almost always based on lies and promoted by war propaganda in order to serve special interests? What if we as a nation came to realize that the quest for empire eventually destroys all great nations? What if Obama has no intention of leaving Iraq? What if a military draft is being planned for for the wars that will spread if our foreign policy is not changed? What if the American people learn the truth? that our foreign policy has nothing to do with national security, that it never changes from one administration to the next? What if war and preparation for war is a racket serving the special interests? What if President Obama is completely wrong about Afghanistan and turns out worse than Iraq and Vietnam put together? What if Christianity actually teaches peace and not preventive wars of aggression? What if diplomacy is found to be superior to bombs and bribes in protecting America? What happens if my concerns are completely unfounded? Nothing. But what happens if my concerns are justified and ignored? Nothing good. 
and I yield back the balance of my time. Okay, thoughts? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, who was that, Paul? Ron Paul. Oh, Ron Paul. Oh, okay. Daddy, yeah, I, well, Daddy. I knew I, 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 that was my second guess. I was like, it's either Rand Paul or Ron Paul. I couldn't tell yeah. which one, but um, yeah, like Ron Paul, like Ron Paul, definitely. You know, um, I think he nailed it for sure. Like, we have this this uh, narrative that America is the good guy, and I think that narrative really needs to be challenged, right? Um, I really think that that narrative needs to be challenged. We are not the good guy. And a lot of the stuff that's gone on in the um, foreign policy world, and I mean, I know some of my Republican friends don't like to hear that, and a lot of my Democratic friends don't like to hear that either, but it's it's the truth. We're not the good guy in a lot of these narratives. And I also think this American-centric view of, of, you know, especially in, like, the Bible, it, it got put to me the other day, and it made me really go, like, yeah, that's something we got to, like, keep in mind, right? The Bible was written not in America, and it's definitely not set in America. Yeah. And the events that it's describing and the way that it's describing them, we tend to, like, somehow put ourselves in the middle of it as Americans, and we're not, <laughs> right? We're not in the middle. We're not. Like, Jesus is not coming back to America, like, right? He's going to set foot on the Mount of Olives is what it says in Jerusalem, right? Um, he will enter into the Golden Gate and the temple, right? So, um, you know, I'm just throwing those out there. But, yeah, I definitely think, like, for sure that uh, we're guilty of, um, of fucking a lot of shit up and pretending like we're the good guys and that we know the best answers, and, and we, we really don't. Do you think that we're Babylon? I have thought that several times, yes. I think that's definitely a possibility. Um, I definitely would not be surprised if we are the, if we are the yeah, Babylon, right? The whore of Babylon, right? Um, uh, the beast, right? If we're somehow, I, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if the Antichrist is American. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what it ends up being, that the Antichrist is an American. Um, but, yeah, I definitely, I don't think we're, let, let's just say I don't think we're the uh, good guys. Right. I definitely don't think we're um, I think that we are probably a portion um, for a lot of God's wrath, if that makes sense. I mean, not the believers, obviously, but I think quite a lot of uh, people who claim that they believe in Christ that really don't are a portion for wrath. And I think a lot of them are American. Does that make sense? Um, I think I mean, if you look at the, the heresies that have spread throughout the last maybe 50 years, give or take 100 years. Um, the main one, the most uh, garish one, or the most shocking one to me being, of course, the prosperity gospel. If you look at those seeds that have been planted and spread, right, the idea that you can somehow, um, that Jesus wants you to have health and wealth and prosperity and that you're never going to have any trials, and if you do, then you're not like doing the, the gra- Christian walk the correctly. It's just, huh? Like the Graham teachings. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I think the, the prosperity gospel is destructive, right? Um, in fact, yeah. I, I stopped going to a church recently because I realized that that was their ideology, right? That was yeah. their ideology was health, wealth, and a good life. And I was like, well, you know, that's not true, right? I mean, does God want us to be healthy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but did, did 
does he also allow us to go through unhealthy trials, right, to, to prove our character? Uh, yeah, right? And I think the idea really lies in what Jesus says when he says, in this life, you will have trials. He doesn't say, in this life, you will have health and wealth and everything you want. No, he says, in fact, the opposite, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think your, your question about whether or not we're the, 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 the whore of Babylon, yeah, I think we are. I think we might be. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we might be, and I think part of that is rooted in this American gospel, which is very different than the true gospel of Jesus Christ, right? This idea that if you are blessed by God, to be blessed means that you have a house and, uh, and a car and, and you can, and, and two houses, right? Because you got one in the winter and one in the summer or, you know, or a vacation, like, you know what I'm saying? Like this yeah. idea that prosperity, economic prosperity is tied to knowing God is so destructive because the real wealth is not on earth, right? It says our tre- the real treasures are the ones that you can't see, right? Um, yeah. And yeah, and yeah, and I think uh, I think uh, definitely, you know, money has gotten so tied up in the church too. And I know we're getting off topic. And your original question is about the the the. I guess your original question really is kind of about American exceptionalism because that's what Ron Paul is challenging, and at least that's what I heard in it. Right? Was the yeah. challenge to the idea that we always know best and that we always make the best decisions, especially when it comes to like war and stuff like that. And the answer, I think, is no. Yeah, you I, know? I totally well, agree. Flat and simple, no. I think we don't. I think we uh, we've been conditioned to think that we know the best, and and when you really, it it, it all goes down to money, right? The, there's a reason why Paul says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? Totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Now, okay, one little um, sidestep. I would say that uh, Jesus says that anything you give up in this lifetime, anything you give up, you will get back some 20, you know, 30, 60, 90 fold in this lifetime. Yep. In right, this lifetime. yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, um, you know, but that is in this lifetime. That's the only, like, everything you're saying is right on, except for that. Well, and, I, that, and I think you, it's interesting because Jesus tells this parable, right? And it really stands out to me even now in this, this time, right? This parable of Lazarus, right? And it's in, it's in the Gospel of Luke. And he tells the parable of this man named Lazarus who dies, right? And Lazarus is a beggar. Um, and he sits outside of the rich man's gate every day waiting for the, the scraps that come from the rich man's table, right? And this, uh, in the meantime, the rich man has everything he wants. He eats and drinks and he's happy and merry, right? And Lazarus becomes infected with sores from the dog licking him, and he dies, right? And the rich man, when he dies, goes to hell, essentially, right? And Lazarus goes mm-hmm. to heaven, right? And God tells him pretty, or Abraham, I should say, Abraham, who is acting like the godlike figure in the story, right, tells him, you know, because he begs him, like, please, let me come to you. Let me go to heaven, right? And he says pretty plainly, like, you have what you wanted in life, right? And Lazarus had nothing. And so because Lazarus had nothing, I guess, you know, you can read into it or what I read into it is, like, again, do not be deceived. In fact, Jesus says that, that those who are deceived by the deceitfulness of riches are not fertile soil, right? And I think America, a lot of America has been deceived by the deceitfulness of riches. And I feel like, you know, the true gospel is that you're a sinner. You need a mediator between you and God. That when you die, you're, you're headed for a bad place, right? And you need a mediator to stand in between you and God. 
And that mediator's name is Jesus Christ, right? He's the only one who can be your mediator. And I think we all get that, right? But then somehow it gets twisted and morphed into more than what the simplicity of the gospel is. The gospel in itself is so simple. You are not righteous. Nothing that you do is righteous before God. Only your righteousness can only be found in Jesus Christ, right? And, of course, Amen. that transformation that you make as a person when you know Jesus is beautiful and wonderful to behold, but it is still not righteous, right? You're still not righteous before God. You, who, how could you be, right? You're still yes. uh, a sinner, right? And I think that, that that message has gotten changed over time. It's been, it's been uh, morphed and warped into you got to do X, Y, and Z, and you got to be this, this, and that, and you've got to believe these, these, and these things. And unfortunately, it's, you know, it's kind of led us into a lot of different situations. I know I'm rambling, Danielle, but, you know, no, you asked my you're opinion. Prophesying. So. You're prophesying. That's what you're doing. This is why yeah. I'm going to, um, whatchamacallit, this is why I'm going to ministry school, because... I'm like, okay, Lord, I think I see, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And I think that there's going to be a lot of people who are going, who are, who are following. And Jesus says this himself too, right? The way is narrow. The way to life is narrow. So a lot of people think they're walking on the right path and they're not. And I see people all the time, you know, I'm on a lot of Christian groups online and there's a, there's a lot of ugliness that goes out telling people, you know, I, I think a good example of this is Kat Von D, right? Kat Von D, who recently was baptized, and she recently started getting her tattoos covered up or removed, right? And these Christians are tearing apart Kat Von D, and whether or not her conversion is genuine or not, whether or not she really believes or not, whether or not she, you know, uh, is truly saved and born again or not, to me is irrelevant. Right? Cat on me yes. is irrelevant. It's, it's not my job to sort the catch. And I tell people this all the time. It's not our job to sort the catch. Jesus tells us the parable of the fish, right, the fishermen. And he says, what do they do? They gather the net. They spread the net out. They catch as many fish as they can of all kinds of different kinds and all different kinds of types. But yes. who sorts the catch? Not us. Not, not the fishermen. Us. They take it to the shore yeah. and other people sort it. And those other people in before Jesus' point, uh, yeah, terrible or angels, right, they sort the catch. So exactly. whether or not Kat Von before D really believes or not, it's irrelevant. She's not claiming to be a prophet or claiming to be a, a great teacher or claiming to be a pastor. She's just claiming to be a Christian. So what yeah. does it matter? You get what I'm saying? Does that make sense? And I, I feel like a lot of people are tearing, tearing her down. And it's, like, so interesting to me because – Jesus says as well, whatever you, however you judge other people is how you're going to be judged. You know, that's how you're right. going to be judged. The grace yes. that you have for other people is the grace that God is going to show you, right? Right. And I don't know about you, so, but right. I need a lot of like, God's grace. So that means I need to show a lot of people a lot of grace for a lot of things. Do you feel me? <laughs> is it Matthew? Is it Matthew that says, before you point out the splinter in your neighbor's eye, remove the plank from your own? Yeah, I believe it's Matthew 7, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Matthew uh-huh. 7 or Matthew 8, somewhere around there. Might be 6. But, yeah, definitely the okay. idea of and, – and I think – and it's funny because someone said to me the other day, they were like, we're supposed to judge, right? And, yeah, we are supposed um, to judge, right, in a way. We're supposed to judge false prophets, right? Yeah. But if someone's not claiming to be a prophet or claiming to be a teacher or claiming to be the, the way to be found to, to point to Christ – then we're not supposed to judge that. If someone says they're my brother or my sister, we're supposed to take them on, on their word, right? And I think there's a man named Louis, Louis Scott who uh, does a video on it, and he does a great job, and he says, 
how do you know if someone truly believes in Christ or not? You don't, right? And we have this idea, people have this idea of, well, you can tell by your fruits. And, and if you really read that passage, he says specifically he's talking about false prophets. In other words, people who claim to be a prophet or claim to be something in leadership of some sort, right? But if someone's not yes. claiming to be a prophet or claiming to be a pastor or claiming to be a teacher or an evangelist or some sort of office, right, then if they say they're your brother or your sister, you're supposed to just believe them. How else For are you sure. supposed to know whether or not they are or not? You don't, right? right? And so and it, and, it's, it's and, funny. Okay, so there's a, a, the Bible verse that talks about hanging a millstone around your neck and throwing yourself in the deepest ocean if you offend one of these little ones. You know, a lot of people say that that's about pedophilia, right? If you're, if you're going to uh-huh. harm a child, it does have to do with harming children, but it also has to do with harming people who are infants in their journey with Christ, right? So oh, if you are yeah. standing on your pulpit and saying that you are evil to people who are just understanding Christ, that also, that passage also applies to those people go away do not you know uh, you know uh, um, derail people who are on their journey from continuing you know and so if there's pastors well, and I, out there and I think the, the problem is and, and this again is Louis Scott he's a wonderful expositor Christian um, kind of Christian apologist right and he says you either get to rest on Christ's righteousness or you get to rest on your own righteousness. It's one or the other, right? You either get to say, you either get to pretend like you're going to heaven because you're righteous or you get to understand the only reason you're going there is because of Jesus Christ, right? It's one or the other. And I think that the, the exactly. underlying current of the people who like to tell other people what's wrong with them is that deep down they genuinely think that they're righteous. Does that make sense? Like, deep down, they really do think that they're righteous, right? There's a reason we call it being self-righteous, right? Because your righteousness is not in Christ. It's in yourself. It's in yourself. Because if your righteousness was in Christ, you would understand I was the exact same way, or or I did the exact same thing in a different way, or I did the exact same thing in the exact same way at one point, and if it wasn't for God, I would still be doing it, right? And I think there's there's this... uh, corruption, I guess you could say, in the American church right now. And it's filled with people who seem to have forgotten that they are not righteous, right? And I, and I mean, again, this is not me trying to, to pretend like I am righteous and I, I'm, not, I'm not doing that at all. I am the foremost among sinners in the words of Paul, right? But I certainly think there's a sickness right now in, in America, and I think it's, it's, you know, a lot of people don't really understand their Bible. They don't read it. If they do read it, they read it so that they can find things to use against other people, um, and, you know, it says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and a two-edged sword cuts both ways, right? Um, I love you And I think so that that's much. where you run into issues, if that makes sense, but... Absolutely. I know I'm rambling. Um, no, you're not. Just, you're yeah, prophesying. There's a, there's a lot to be said, huh? I said, you're not rambling, you're prophesying. Yeah. That's what yeah, you're doing. Yeah, certainly. And, um, you know, Louis Scott, he, he, he's great. You would love him um, because he really breaks down, like, you know, he, and he really got me to be like, okay, I get it, right? This idea, again, of where is your righteousness? 
is it in yourself or is it in Jesus, right? Because if you're, you know, if you're righteousness, and I told someone this the other day too, I said, you know, if you're truly resting in Christ as your righteousness, then you're really not trying to tell anyone what they're doing wrong. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's why Jesus said judge righteously, because a person who judges righteously is going to take a good long look at themselves first. And usually if you take a good long look at yourself in the mirror first, before you try to tell someone else what to do with their life or how they need to live, you usually end up going, ooh, I don't like what I see in the mirror. Thank God for the blood, right? (laughs) Thank God for the blood, because I don't like what I'm seeing in the mirror, but I look in the mirror, right? And you... It genuinely, it kind of takes the wind out, the wind out of your cells, right? And I mean, I guess again, maybe I'm just reading it differently than other people, or no. you know, maybe I'm ultimately wrong, and maybe I will have to answer for that. But I think God has grace for those who have grace for others, right? And that's what it is. That's the answer. He has grace for people that have grace for other people, and they're tearing Kat Von D down. I mean, I encourage you to go look at her video. She made a beautiful video of her getting baptized, and you know, can, can you send me those videos? That video? Been... Huh? Can you send me that video? Yeah, I'm sure I can find it. But she Wonderful. made a uh, a couple of other things since getting baptized, which I understand why people are saying, "Well, it's not a really a genuine conversion." But at the same time. You know, it's not our job to sort the catch, number one. Number two, we really don't know what's in someone's heart, right? Jesus, he judges the hearts and minds of people. So Jesus doesn't just look at what you're thinking. He looks at the motives behind him. And my pastor actually said this recently, and I thought it was a beautiful way of looking at it. A lot of times God doesn't really care why we make a decision. I'm sorry. He doesn't care what decision we make a lot of times, right? He cares why. We made it, right? He wants to know, okay, okay, like, I I get it. You chose that, and, yeah, that was dumb or that was wrong, right? And I'm not really so mad at you choosing the wrong thing. I'm more concerned about why you chose the wrong thing, right? And I think when you you understand that about God and you get to the heart of the matter, you know, people – again, it goes back to what I was saying about people resting in the wrong source for their righteousness. You know, someone who's truly resting in Jesus is not going to be telling Kat Von D – all the things that she needs to do now uh, to get right with God. And they're so, you're so concerned with working out your own salvation that I don't have time to, I'm, I'm concerned about what Brandt is doing. How is Brandt not doing the right thing? Uh, you know what I'm saying? Um, I need yeah. to focus on myself right now and, and focus on, right. and, and, you know, seven years later or six years later, here I am still trying to get myself right with God. Right. I don't have time to get somebody else right with God. Right. You're pulling, yeah, you're, you're pulling the splinter out of your own eye. Right. <laughs> well, and also, too, you know, he does a really good video. Lewis Scott does a really good video on what repentance actually means. <clears throat> and I think um, the way that he explains it, you know, because what repentance means is to have a change of mind, right? Metanoia is the Greek. Meta meaning new and noia or nous meaning mind, right? Noia meaning mind, right? So when you have a a change of mind, it's more about that you're agreeing with God about your own wickedness, right? Um, That you're agreeing with God about your own sin. And, yeah, absolutely you should change that sin if it's possible, right? You should stop sleeping around. You should stop 
I, I would know. I'm in the process of changing those things about myself, right? Um, but I also think, again, that God has a lot of grace for people. He has a lot more grace than I think we'll ever understand, if that makes sense. And abundance, um, yeah. And so – so, so this idea that you've got to change everything and, and immediately stop doing these th- these things, or you're not really saved. I don't know if I agree with that, right? Um, yeah. I don't think I agree with that because the idea that you're going to somehow magically one day wake up and be completely perfect um, is bullshit because you never will. You're never gonna. No, you're never gonna be perfect. You're always yeah. going to have some shortcoming when measured with the pure, holy righteousness of Jesus Christ, the perfection of of who Jesus is. You're always gonna fall short. There's a reason. There's a point to that, right? Because um, yes. if you weren't one day, you wouldn't need Jesus. Does that make sense? Yes. I I brought up earlier in the show that okay, one example of Christians, um, uh, and and the only unforgivable sin is the sin that you cannot ask forgiveness for. So as a woman, um, the Bible says to cover your head when you pray and to pray without ceasing. I don't cover my head. I, but I do know that it's a sin. And I ask forgiveness for that sin, and I ask for the strength to cover my head every day. But Christians who say, no, that's not a sin, that has nothing to do with me. That's for another people. I don't need to ask forgiveness for that sin. Those are the people who can't be forgiven for their sin. And and I, I bring this up because I'm not talking about people who, who are ignorant of their sins, people who don't know that it's a sin. It's the people who are well-versed in the Bible that say, no, that's not for me, that, you know, honor your mother and father. For many years, I did not honor my mother, I did not honor my father, because I did not right. feel that those were for me. You know, I, that, that wasn't for me. But through the grace of God, I have my relationship with my father, who is now dead, right. and my mother, who is still alive, I came uh, to understand that the, that, you know, honoring my mother and my, and my father were things that I needed to do. And the years that I did not honor them, they, you know, um, I, I, that was ignorant. That was out of ignorance. But now that I understand through grace and salvation that I had, that I need to, I honor my mother and I honor my father. My mother has a week, weekly segment on my show, right? Because I, even though my mother, you know, uh, left me when I was very young and I, and I had unresolved issues, uh, why do I need to honor her? Well, God showed me why I needed to honor her. And, uh, you know, and those things, those sins were forgiven when I actually asked forgiveness. Um, we've got about... 30 minutes left in the show. I would like to play about a 15-minute clip. I, you, you may need to go order food, but this is... Um, right now, Danielle. I'm actually ordering right now, but I'm going to be waiting for it, so we're good. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so I'm going to play this clip, and I would love to know your thoughts at the end. Okay, three, two, one. 
Hey, Internet friends. If the world is a kaleidoscope of color, you and I could be looking at the same sky and see totally different shades of blue. Reality is much the same. In the Israeli-Palestinian conflict with its complex and winding history is one of those reality breakdowns where people come away with drastically different reads of the room based on their upbringing, religious affiliation, schooling, television habits. You know how it is. Only, much like COVID and even the war in Ukraine, we are being forced to choose a side. And it's not simply a selection, but a moral decree. An effective way to shatter the calm of the evening is to have an opposing opinion on this issue amongst good company. So today, I'm going to give you a historical overview of the Israel and Palestine conflict that is seldom taught in school or even church to better help us navigate the barrage of violent imagery harrowing headlines in narratives meant to stir not only emotion, but serve as a call to action. Let's start with the basics. Judaism isn't Zionism. While Zionism is a political philosophy for a certain group of people, Judaism is a religion. Jewish ancestry is not a requirement for practicing Judaism. To be a Zionist, you don't have to be Jewish. The official definition of Zionism is a movement for originally the reestablishment and now the development and protection of a Jewish nation in what is now Israel. Zionism was established as a political organization in 1897. Basically, Zionists believe that according to the Torah, God made a covenant or a sacred agreement with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of Judaism. So in the Old Testament, as it's interpreted by Zionists, God basically acts as a real estate agent and promises Abraham and his descendants a specific land, often referred to as the promised land or the land of Canaan. The land is described in various passages in the Bible and it includes the territory that makes up modern-day Israel, as well as parts of surrounding areas. If you're new here, I'm from the Bible Belt of the United States, where Christian Zionism is widespread. Believe in that Israel and the Jews are the chosen people and that Israel is the promised land for Jews is taught in church as a gateway to salvation and eternal life. Keep in mind that as Christians, we are also taught that the way to eternal life and salvation is through Christ, whom religious Jews reject, and they also reject the idea of hell or eternal damnation. And I just want to remind Christians who might be watching that everything changed with the New Testament which is why Christians are taught from both the Old and New Testament. Remember, Jesus rolled up, started performing miracles, flipping over tables of money changers, and said it doesn't matter who you are, how much money you got, who your daddy is. As long as you walk with Christ, you're chosen for eternal salvation. And this changed everything. It gave everyday people hope and put them on an even playing field. Point of view, or we don't believe in the divinity of Christ. I right. think that the, there you can make an argument that the the Gospels, which were written, he was just a prophet. And, right? No, no, no. We don't uh, even believe he was a prophet. What do you think he was? What do you guys? I, think I mean, I, what I what do I think he was historically? I think he was a Jew who tried to lead a revolt against the Romans and got killed for his trouble. But just like Christians, there are certain sects of Judaism that believe one thing, and other Jews believe something else. So Jews who follow the Babylonian Talmud, a rabbinical text are taught that there is a distinction between Jews, who are considered the chosen people in Jewish theology, and those who are not Jewish. 
The word used to describe the non-Jewish, including Christians, is goyim or goy. It is a derogatory Yiddish term meaning cattle or beast, often used in place of the word Gentile. And this distinction or this perception, well, it just totally discards the concept of an even playing field. The perception of the self, the teachings, are inherently otherly in ways that others could never achieve if they weren't born into it. The first big departure from Israel happened during the Babylonian exile. Almost 600 years before Christ, when King Nebuchadnezzar II of the Babylonian Empire took over Jerusalem and destroyed the first temple, Solomon's temple. Then Rome conquered Jerusalem in 70-ish AD, destroying the second temple, the central hub of Jewish worship and sacrifice. About 70 years later, the Romans changed the name of the area from Judea to Palestina. Okay, so like I said, the original Bible Jews fled Judea to surrounding areas throughout the centuries. But there's a key event that happened in Jewish history that no one really ever addresses. And I'm just going to warn you, it's a highly debated event. It really gets people worked up to talk about it. During the Middle Ages, between the 7th and 10th centuries, the kingdom of Khazaria ruled over parts of Russia, Kazakhstan, and modern-day Ukraine. So under the Khazarian Empire, the kingdom made all the civilians who were reportedly polytheistic and pagan, they made them convert to Judaism. And it's believed that the decision to convert was a political choice to stay independent and avoid religious pressures from the Christian Byzantine Empire to the west and the Islamic Caliphate to the south. Meaning that Khazarians were not necessarily Jews in the sense that Bible Jews were, if that makes sense. They had the identity but not the connection to ancient Israel. After the fall of the Khazarian Empire in the 10th century, Khazarians migrated and integrated across Europe. In all fairness, it should be noted that a bunch of Jews call the Khazar history a conspiracy theory. They say it's an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. Even though you can open up a history book and it's right there, so I don't know what to tell you. Chinese Muslims don't pretend they're Arabs, but white Europeans claim to be Bible Israelites, and we all just pretend that's perfectly normal. Eventually, Jewish people arrived in Western Europe and America, and forgive me because it's getting a little dicey here, making the distinction between Bible Jews and converted Jews, but apparently it's an important distinction because it determines whether America is willing to send billions of tax dollars and soldiers to a nation. So we've got to at least touch on the difference. So let's fast forward to the late 1800s when Zionism allegedly got its start in response to the resurgence of anti-Semitism. By the way, anti-Semitism before the definition was changed in like 2016 used to mean hostility towards Semites. A Semite being a member of any of the peoples who speak or spoke a Semitic language, including in particular the Jews and the Arabs. Now it just means hatred of Jewish people. When Zionism was just getting traction among the considerations for a Jewish state were Argentina, Uganda, Cyprus, and even Texas. Throughout the early 1900s, numerous Zionist groups began to pop up across the United States, with their various publications serving as a vehicle for Zionist propaganda. The goal was to influence both the United States Congress and the general public. Though the sentiment amongst U.S. officials at the time was that Zionism countered both U.S. interests and principles, since it involved matters related to other countries other than the United States. 
Clearly, much has changed since then. But then the world descended into war. A secret deal called the Sykes-Picot Treaty was made during World War I, the result of which was bringing down the Ottoman Empire. The treaty was made public in 1916 and set new borders for the Middle East, splitting the area into states. And Palestine was put under international control. But strangely enough, the Balfour Declaration, which was written in a letter to Walter Rothschild by the UK's Foreign Secretary Arthur Balfour, promised Palestine as a home for the Jewish people. And this letter was sent just one year after the Sykes-Picot Treaty. It's important to remember that the Rothschild Baking family actively funded both sides of the war. This was also done during World War II because countries at war needed money to do things like feed and arm their men. But for Rothschild Zionism, making money was just the cherry on top. They needed Jewish people to be traumatized. They needed Jewish people to have a reason to live in fear and want to migrate to Israel, which would serve as a hub to help them rule the Middle East and they needed global superpowers to back them up. But even before World War II, Zionists were busy buying up land in Palestine and moving there. Palestine was a place where Jews, Christians, and Muslims already lived. The Zionist Federation of Germany and the Nazi government signed the Havara Agreement in 1933. This made it easier for German Jews to move to Palestine. And it let Jewish people in Germany move some of their wealth out of Germany by buying things made in Germany to send to Palestine. Jews who had left their homes used the money they made from selling these goods in Palestine to settle down there. As a result of the deal, about 60,000 German Jews moved to Palestine before it was officially ended when World War II broke out in 1939. Before the State of Israel was officially established, the Palestinians revolted. Sinus said this was because of their anti-Semitism, but Palestine was their home, and the Arabs knew it was being attacked and taken away from them. Were they just supposed to, I don't know, give away their homes and family farms without a peep? Y'all like, oh, no problem, we'll just bulldoze our homes ourselves. That's just a little bit unrealistic, don't you think? 700,000 Palestinians were forced from their homes when the state of Israel was created. Some people might call this an ethnic cleansing of the land. More and more Palestinian land has been claimed by Israel every year since its creation. And every day there is a war. In 1967, Israel was at war with six surrounding Arab states. As a result, Israel won and took over the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, and of course, the Syrian Golan Heights. The UN has asked Israel to leave these lands to give them back, but they have held on to them which has created extremely high tensions in the region, giving rise to extremist groups, which are then funded by the CIA and Mossad and whoever else, so they can control the opposition, which is always their MO. Zionists say that their treatment of Palestinians is okay because after World War II, everyone abandoned Israel. They were truly on their own and surrounded by people who didn't like them being there. The excuse for their aggression was that they were protecting themselves. After all, Jewish Zionists believe that they are God's chosen people and that this land was given to them by God and it's their duty, their manifest destiny, if you will, to take it. This argument, this whole argument has transformed into, do we not have a right to protect ourselves in the face of such extreme anti-Semitism? Let's call a spade a spade. It's all a bit gaslighty. As part of Zionism's manifest destiny, there is perpetual war and death in the Middle East. 
the United Nations doesn't punish Israel for their violations of human rights as they grow into the greater Israel. Even so, Resolution 3379 of the UN General Assembly in 1975 said that Zionism was a form of racism and racial discrimination. This decision was taken away in 1991. Still, it seems like Israel is a Jewish state, but only for a certain kind of Jewish people. The Palestinian Jews who were there the entire time and the Ethiopian Jews who moved there in the 1980s and early 1990s aren't wanted there. Bethlehem, historically associated with Jesus Christ, has seen its Christian population decrease significantly, from 80% in the 1920s to just 20% today. A similar decline has occurred throughout Palestine, where Christians now make up only about 1% of the population. Some people might say that this decline is because of tensions in the Middle East between Palestinian Muslims and Christians. However, however, a study from 2017 found that the main reason Palestinian Christians left was the pressure of Israeli occupation. The study reported that ongoing restrictions, unfair laws, random arrests, and land seizures are some of the things that make Palestinian Christians feel hopeless. Every day for decades, the Israelis and the Palestinians are at war with each other. Eventually, Israel put up a wall between territories, effectively surrounding the Palestinian population of 2 million like their caged animals, providing only a couple of guarded exits. Palestinian civilians often get caught up in the crossfire, leaving their hospitals, schools, and homes destroyed by Israel. Meanwhile, Israel built their Iron Dome missile defense system in the 2000s to defend against rocket threats from Hezbollah and Hamas. The United States funds both sides of the conflict, giving Palestinians $600 million annually and Israel around $3.3 billion in foreign aid annually. To wrap it all up here, Israel has and continues to commit human rights violations against Palestinian civilians, which have been documented by the UN and human rights organizations. There are repeated examples, daily tragedies that global superpowers have turned a blind eye to. Presumably in the United States, it's because the Zionist lobby has a great deal of power over the politicians. Any criticism of Israel and its practices gets shut down by accusations of anti-Semitism before one sentence ever leaves your mouth. And of course, the Palestinians hate the Israelis. Of course, the Israelis hate the Palestinians. Who is right? Who is wrong? Do you actually believe that the same media who lied to get us into every major war, Vietnam, the Gulf Wars into the war on drugs, intact passports at the bottom of the Twin Tower rubble, War on terrorism, COVID, mass saves lives, Ukraine. Do you actually believe they're telling you the truth about what happened in the last few weeks between Israel and Palestine? The events of which will inevitably escalate and lead to greater involvement of global superpowers and eventually cost the lives of many American soldiers? Do you actually believe that they're telling you the truth? If everything went down exactly as the media reported, of course Hamas is in the wrong for killing Israeli civilians. The whole sophistication of the Israeli intelligence and military surveillance apparatus being down during that particular time is a little suspect, but I digress. I hope that if you're a Christian, you'll consider what I've said. I know you're good people. I know you have big hearts, and I know you hate to see others suffer. But if you're going to cheer on the genocide of an entire population and beg for Americans to get involved, I hope and pray that you know the true identity and intent of our greatest ally in the Middle East.
Because by your logic, you're basing your entire eternal salvation on supporting them and their actions. Just make sure that you're sure. That's all. By the way, I wish we had a single politician who was as fired up about what's happening in the United States as they are about Israel. Wouldn't that be something? What if people directed their energy towards bankers and puppeteers funding both sides of the conflict instead of choosing a side in this false dichotomy? What do you think, Internet friends? I'm sure I've upset some of you by saying this. I just humbly ask for your consideration of what I've laid out here. And, you know, I contemplated a long time about doing this video, and I still felt like after a week it was important enough to post. Relaying this type of information is not something I take lightly. But anyway, thank you for your time. Thank you for subscribing, and thank you for buying my book, The Deep State Encyclopedia. Bye. That was a lot. Any any thoughts? Sorry, I'm eating. I'm waiting for my bus, and I'm eating. Yeah, it was a lot, but you know what? She nailed a lot of it. She you really know, did, Especially right? the, the, the anti-Semitism, right? And, you know, I think the, um, it's the Bible Project who really nails how this entire conflict is one big family feud. That's been going on for thousands of years. Yes. <laughs> we talk about these. Because they're all related. Abraham, right? Abraham, mm -hmm. his first son was Ishmael, right? Mm -hmm. His second son. Ishmael, yep. Yes. His second son was. Uh, uh, no, Ishmael was the first son. Yes. I'm sorry. Did yeah, I say he was second? actually the first son. He was actually the oldest, right? Yes. The second was yeah. what, um, Isaiah. Um. I think Isaiah. Sorry, I'm eating because I only have about 30 no. minutes before I go to church. No, no you're um, fine. Yeah, Ishmael was actually the oldest son, right? Who yes. was bypassed by God, but still very blessed by God, right? Because uh, Hagar. When she yes. is in the wilderness running away from, because Hagar, I mean, when, when you read the story in context, it's kind of messed up, right? Hagar is the Egyptian slave. Sarah, who is impatient waiting for God's promise, or Sarai, she uh, yeah. tells Abraham, go ahead and sleep with my slave, our slave, yeah, fuck, and she'll give you a son. Then when Hagar gets pregnant, she kind of gets a little bit proud about it, which is understandable, right? But also, and you know, what, you're still 70? the slave, right? You're not, you're, you might be having the baby, but you're not the, you know, the wife or the, the head of the household, right? The matriarch right. or whatever. And so, you know, the, the story goes that Hagar runs away. And while in the wilderness, she's visited by the angel of the Lord, right? Who tells her that God has seen her, has, has seen her, and that she needs to go back to her master, right? Go back, and he provides uh, provides them with uh, water because they're there in the desert, right? And so yeah. the the story is quite quite beautiful because Hagar walked away from it, praising God, right, saying that it's yeah. God sees me. El Rohi, right? Yes. The God who sees and, and Sarah walked away first, though, right? Because Sarah was 70 hmm? years old and goes, uh, no, no, I don't care what God says. Go have sex with your handmaiden, and, and you know, and, and get a baby. And then Hagar comes back, 
has a baby, and Sarah's like, ah, maybe there's something to this, and and then has another oh. son. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a, a there's a waiting closet. period, right? There's yeah. a waiting period between when God makes the promise. Hold on one second, Eddie. I'm getting on the no bus. Problem. We've got the 90-second mark, but I, I get you, um, and the ultimate lesson in this is who would this come down to a family squabble? Because it's all be, um, you know, at the end of the, of the day, a family squabble. And the Muslims both be from the same tribe, and they certainly are. So, with that, we just hit our 60-second mark. No, no problem at all. We just hit our 60-second mark. Would you like to have any final words? No. Just thank you for having me on. I'm glad I could hang out with you, spend some time with you. I love you so much. I love your prophecy. so loud the whole time. No. I love you, and I love your prophecy. I love what you brought to this show. Um, and, and and I love what you bring to my life. So um, yeah, with that, um, I love yeah. So we're at the end of another show. We have about ten seconds left. Please share this if you can. Um, and I love you all, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. See you next week. Yes, for sure. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.